Good afternoon, everybody. I don't get to say good afternoon very often. And welcome to Virtual Legality Live. It's been a few days since I've been with you all to talk about Microsoft Times Activision, really the only topic that we talk about on Virtual Legality anymore. I hope you're all doing great. I know I only gave about a half hour warning before we put up this episode, but I can assure you if you're arriving with the replay crew, this is still going to be good. We're still going to talk about a whole host of things here. And I suspect chat's going to have some questions that have built up over the week in which I have been a little under the weather, if you can't tell from my voice, or if you're not following us over at Hangouts and Headlines early in the morning, uh, my voice is going to sound like this. This is what we call NPR volume uh, for these kinds of conversations. But the folks that do follow me in the mornings can tell you that I already sound better than I have in the past. So without further ado, we've got a great topic today that I wasn't really expecting to cover, except that basically every major outlet picked this story up. And that is about a prospective class action lawsuit brought primarily by PlayStation players in the state of California to block the Microsoft Times Activision acquisition. And you might say to yourself, Rick, that doesn't make any sense. Weren't you just reporting on the fact that the Federal Trade Commission was also suing to block using their massive government powers and regulatory apparatus? And I would say, yes. In fact, I have been reporting on that. And that is, in fact, what is happening behind the scenes. So we're going to talk about how unusual this is, how it doesn't make a lot of sense, how they've got standing issues. And they even if they got past those standing issues, it would probably be stayed in connection with the federal regulatory uh, claim. But I figure since so many people were asking about this, and because it is an interesting state of affairs, like everything with Microsoft Times Activision, we should just talk about it today. Also, this is live, so chat, feel free to try to ask questions here. I, I do get focused on the documents when we get into them, or to ask super chats, which I will try to flag and get to at some time contemporaneous to when they are actually put out there. Vintage Willow, thank you so much for gifting memberships here today. I really, really appreciate that support of the channel. As I say, whenever I'm talking about the Patreon, the Utreon, the YouTube memberships or anything else, we can't survive as a channel without the support of viewers and listeners like you. So I very, very much appreciate it. And as Knoxville Buckeye here says, happy Christmas and go Bucks. It's my birthday today, so you have to be nice. Shades emoji. I'm like super old now. Probably not as old as me. We could we could compare uh, ages at some point in the future, Knoxville Buckeye. Well, happy Christmas. Happy birthday to you. Good luck to your Ohio State Buckeyes in the national playoffs. I, I would love nothing more, uh, well, than to have Michigan beat you again for the national championship. So let's meet Let's meet for that game and see how it goes, shall we? Have a great one. I'm super thrilled that you're here. All right, let's talk about some specifics here. We got some people saying hit the like buttons. Of course, do all the youtube -y things. If you do see that, uh, that is also very helpful as well. So background for this particular story. If you haven't been following it, if you just aren't online uh, as much as somebody else, good for you. You've made good life choices. But for the rest of us, a post went up yesterday afternoon from a Twitter user by the name of PostUp, PostUp underscore uh, BBB. And it said the following, hardcore PlayStation fans have filed a U.S. complaint seeking to block the MS-ABK acquisition, arguing that if completed, it will harm the video game industry. Now, that sounds familiar to, to those of us that follow this. And it's about a 45-page document that I have skimmed through. So some of the things we'll see there will be matters of first impression. I'm not going to read every word in that document. That's just not what uh, I think would be useful, but it's also not what uh, my uh, voice is up to uh, today, but we're going to look through all of the various aspects of it. And I wanted to highlight this tweet because I really do think this was the origination of anybody finding it. Uh, and some journalists uh, didn't didn't mention that. They, they, they don't go into that. So you do get Reuters here 
video gamers sue Microsoft in U.S. court to stop Activision takeover. My, my. Uh, well, that's Reuters, though. Maybe other places haven't. Oh, here's the BBC. Microsoft Activision deal. Gamers sue to stop merger. Okay. Cool, cool. Axios, group of gamers sues to block Microsoft Activision deal. And then full disclosure, Stephen Tatilla actually reached out to me to say, is this normal? What are the what are the chances of all this? And he actually got a great quote from a professor at my alma mater, uh, the University of Michigan, uh, Professor Daniel Crane, who says, uh, I'm frankly not sure why these gamers are spending the money to bring the suit. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But because there's so much covered, because there's so much interest in these kinds of things, and because frankly, I don't trust uh, a lot of these outlets to actually go through and, and talk about the details properly. We're going to do that here. We're going to talk about why this is a worse case than what the FTC brought, which if you've been following along in virtual legality, you know, is uh, not a case that I think is a terribly strong one. Uh, but also uh, just exactly why that is. So to start out with that analysis, let's look at an entity called the OECD, which stands for Organization for Economic cooperation and development. And here's a, a white paper, a working group paper from June 2015 that is just kind of designed to talk about, as they say, the relationship between public and private antitrust enforcement. For our purposes here in virtual legality, public enforcement is the government agencies. That's what we've been talking about throughout this whole thing, the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice in the U.S., in foreign jurisdictions, that also includes the Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA in the UK, the European Commission in the European Union, and other places that have all of their own regulatory apparatuses. That is the public enforcement of antitrust laws. And as you can imagine, that is often where in antitrust enforcement actually lives. But you might also say, ah, Rick, but I've got you. Uh, you talk about Apple versus Epic or Epic versus Apple, depending on your proclivities, for a long time. And there's no government enforcer in that particular uh, case. What's up with that? And I would say, well, in that particular case, we're not talking about a merger. We're not talking about an acquisition. We are, in fact, talking about a private contract that one of the parties, in this case, Epic Games, decided was an illegal restraint of trade. Basically, you can't have a restraint of trade that goes too far afield, is too unfair. You can check out that playlist if you want to go into more detail there. It's not a part of this conversation. But when we start talking about mergers, it gets a lot more difficult to bring a private case. Why? Let's take a look at what this particular working group paper says. First, it says the United States relies on a combination of federal, that's the federal government, the FTC, the DOJ, state, so every attorney general in uh, each state in the United States probably has a statute that would allow them to enforce something similar and the states can work together. We've seen in virtual legality certain cases where you've got situations where you know, 27 attorneys general sign up with the Department of Justice to bring this claim against Live Nation and Ticketmaster, whatever it might be, uh, that huge amounts of states just kind of join on with these various claims, and private enforcers to combat anti-competitive conduct. Private enforcers typically act on their own behalf or on behalf of an affected group, so a class action. That's what we're going to see in this lawsuit, is that these particular people are trying to bring a prospective class action. They're asking the court to verify that this is a class of affected individuals, they can bring a claim like the one that we're about to see, at which they are a member, usually seeking damages for any antitrust harms resulting from that anti-competitive conduct. Now, that's where the rubber is actually going to hit the road here, because if you can imagine how we talk about preventing a deal like Microsoft times Activision, we're talking about hypothetical harms, right? We've mentioned that the Federal Trade Commission and basically every regulatory body looking at these particular issues has to go forth and kind of hypothesize 
what the universe looks like if this deal isn't allowed versus what this universe looks like if the deal is allowed and try to ascertain whether there will be harms to competition, which itself is a kind of ephemeral concept, right? Well, it gets worse for a private enforcer, like individual PlayStation players, because they're going to actually have to go and show direct damages, which we'll see the FTC label specifically. Uh, private enforcement subject to certain standing requirements. Private plaintiffs may bring civil actions for violation of the federal antitrust laws. Then we scroll because the most common kind of antitrust enforcement is restraints of trade, cartel behavior, et cetera, et cetera, versus in this particular instance, we're looking at preventing a merger. This is where the government regulatory bodies are at the height of their powers, but the private enforcers, the individuals, the individual companies and video game players in this case are kind of at their weakest. Uh, in this case, says merger enforcement in the U.S. also typically is led at the federal level with the Federal Trade Commission and the Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice sharing federal antitrust enforcement responsibilities. Exactly what we've talked about throughout this very long playlist now, indeed. But when we get to paragraph 16 of this white paper, and then we'll stop reading white papers because it's no fun for anybody. Uh, this is what I wanted us to focus on. Private merger litigation. So we're talking about a merger. Private enforcement is possible, but it's unusual. Why is it so unusual? Well, because private plaintiffs lack the investigative tools available to the federal agencies. So federal agencies can go and really dig in and everybody's required to give them the information they request. They don't have to stop requesting until they're satisfied, et cetera, et cetera. These cases are more difficult for those private plaintiffs to maintain. Further, to meet the antitrust standing requirements, private plaintiffs must allege that their injury is of the type that the antitrust laws were intended to prevent. For example, competitors that would be harmed by a more efficient merged firm cannot maintain a claim. So if we imagine that this deal is a great deal overall for competition because it's going to just invigorate whatever it is you want to think it's invigorating on the Xbox side. It's going to have Call of Duty. It's going to have Activision. This is going to lead Game Pass into the future. It's going to force all the other competitors to have something like a Game Pass. Everybody's going to make bank, et cetera, et cetera. However you want to feel about that, it's a possibility. Uh, if that were in fact the case, a PlayStation player could still potentially bring a kind of damage claim in that, hey, I, I wanted Call of Duty on, on my system. I can't have that anymore. At some level, you have lost something as a PlayStation player. But the antitrust laws are designed to protect competition and not any given individual person in the market, including even the consumers, right? We've talked about consumer welfare, consumer benefits, lower prices, higher quality to actually get through an antitrust review. But any given person doesn't have to be the winner there. And in fact, the antitrust laws are designed to not pick winners and losers. So you can't be, as a, for instance, in a more common version of this, a competitor to Microsoft like Sony bringing this lawsuit and saying, well, they're going to hurt us. Eh, that's, not, that's not quite the same. That's not hurting competition. That's hurting a competitor. And even though some of what the FTC and the CMA have adopted sounds a lot like this very problem, the FTC and the CMA have suggested that it's not. They're allowed to assert that and see how it does in court. For a private plaintiff, you've got the issue of just getting kicked out for lack of standing. Or as the FTC puts it in one of their blog posts from 2016, there is a basic but important difference between antitrust cases brought by the government and those by, brought by private parties. All plaintiffs, including government enforcers like the Federal Trade Commission, must prove an antitrust violation, which requires showing harm to competition. That's the baseline of the Sherman Act, the Clayton Act, everything that we've discussed in this space. But private plaintiffs must make an additional showing 
To establish antitrust standing, private plaintiffs must prove that the antitrust violation caused harm to them. So that's tricky in the merger context. Why? Because there hasn't been any harm yet. There might not be any harm in the future. And in this particular instance, entering this court case after the Federal Trade Commission has already started their administrative process is the kind of case that can get kicked out pretty easily for standing, dismissed for lack of a proper claim. We'll see exactly what they claim in just a minute, or even stayed, paused in legal parlance, right? Stayed in order to allow the FTC to proceed with its uh, evaluation of what's happening here. All of those are very likely outcomes of this. And that means that this lawsuit that we're going to talk about today is not deserving of any of those uh, headlines that we looked at at the top of this video, probably isn't deserving of a virtual legality in terms of actual usefulness or effect on the market or this deal, but it's still going to be fun to talk about. It's still going to be interesting to see what is just one of the wackiest things uh, that you will see as part of this Microsoft Times Activision transaction. There, that never even crossed my mind that PlayStation gamers would try to sue on this because there's nothing to be gained for them. Even if this were to go through, it would likely be paused to wait for the Federal Trade Commission. Now, you can see here, we've, we've got lawyers that are, and far be it for me, to criticize lawyers in solo practices or small practices, but you got lawyers here whose names match the law firm. So these are, these are smaller practices in general. You got uh, Elioto, you've got uh, Savieri, here, uh, all signed up in California, all bringing this claim. And we've talked about this in virtual legality in the past, but the way the plaintiff's class action bar works uh, is that they want to get in early and they want to be named the counsel for the lead plaintiff of a verified class because a class action can lead to huge amounts of money. Certainly the class of people that play PlayStation games or video games or Xbox games is huge. And we'll see what class they ask for in this document. Uh, and if they get named that lead lead plaintiff's counsel, they can make a lot of money on one of these. And this doesn't necessarily cost them a ton of money to actually put forward. Now, is that useful to the legal system? Is that useful to us on the outside? I'd argue no in this case. But very often, plaintiff's class action counsel can keep companies honest uh, on certain things. And, and that is, in fact, useful. Here you see the list of plaintiffs. This is going to be PlayStation gamers for the most part. You can see them suing Microsoft as a complaint to prohibit the acquisition under Section 7 of the Clinton Antitrust Act, which is the section that says you can't have a merger if it's going to hurt competition. Uh, you see here they spend a lot of pages talking, 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 talking. We get to uh, a prayer for relief on page 40. We'll see how much we can shorten this, everybody. Uh, but uh, this is not what I would call a svelte document for this particular purpose. And it does look like the lawyers trying to prove their worth might have taken some kind of retainer up front. We don't know. It's all speculation. Uh, but trying to prove that they're doing something for this particular group. Jacob says, this sounds like a bunch of fanboy gamers. Let me explain. Normal PlayStation fans play PlayStation, but fanboys don't and say PlayStation exclusive is good, Xbox exclusive is bad. I honestly don't know what coordinates this particular group of gamers. I also don't know. One of the things that you can do if you're on the lawyer side is you can go seek out plaintiffs. You can go as the lawyers and say, hey, there might be something here. We want to get our name in the papers. We want to put a document together like this. We want Hogue to cover us in virtual legality. I'm just a phone call away. I mean, we, we don't have to go through the whole legal process here, gentlemen. Uh, but whatever reason they do it, they can also go seek out plaintiffs. Uh, this isn't always the case where the plaintiff went and said, I've got a claim and I'm going to find a lawyer, especially when you've got a group like this of disparate individuals. It starts to look more like 
behind the scenes, the council went and asked for people to go and, and represent this particular class. Uh, so we don't know that for sure, uh, but that can certainly happen. And it does it does look a little bit like that to me from the outside. Uncle Thursday Gaming, thank you for the super chat. Fanboys play Twitter, not games. Well, fanboys play everywhere. Certainly in my comment section, they are regular appearers, as in my DMs, which are admittedly on Twitter. So you never know. You never know. Chrissy Fletcher has a comment. I always wonder what the law clerks or other staff think about these kinds of things. Like, we're doing what now? Honestly, things that are this silly are actually probably pretty pretty fun for for court staffs. And so far as you've got this kind of standard stuff, you're used to it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you law is a rip-roaring excitement career every minute of every day. Uh, so if you're just collecting briefs and things and complaints like this, uh, well, you see this and you go, well, this is wild at least. This is different. This is interesting. If I'm going to write my summary memo to my, my judge, it's going to be like, well, okay, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but uh, I definitely I definitely wonder. You never know how that's going to be treated at the court. All right, so we're going to skip as much of this as possible. Which I know is exactly what you want to hear on a summary video, but there's going to be a lot of useless language here. We're going to skip as much as possible while still getting to the meat of the thing. This is a private antitrust action seeking an order of the court prohibiting the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard under the antitrust laws. The threatened loss or damage to the plaintiffs and to the public at large. So this is never a great sign. If if you're if you're writing a, a prospective class action, you don't get credit for the public at large. You're not representing the earth. Um, and that's what the government can do. The government can basically go say we represent competition as a kind of ephemeral concept. Uh, and that's private actors can't can't really do that. By the merging of two giants in the video game industry is extensive and broad. So we've got threatened loss or damage. We're going to state what we need to state. But as you've probably seen in virtual legality or elsewhere in your in your travels across the Internet, you can't just assert something in a complaint. You don't have to have it all proved. You haven't been through discovery yet. But you can't just say, well, this is going to harm everything on Earth. So we'll see where they go from paragraph one. Uh, on January 18th, Microsoft announced that it was going to purchase Activision for $68.7 billion. The proposed acquisition price demonstrates the merger is significant and non-trivial. No doubts there. Uh, Microsoft and Activision are each significant rivals in the video game development, publishing, and distribution markets. So this is interesting, right? Because one of the things we've noted in the FTC action, and to some extent in what the CMA has said, is that those regulatory bodies are mostly ditching the concept that this could be a horizontal merger or a problem as a horizontal merger. And uh, hang on one second. We're going to try to maintain our ability to talk through this video, but we'll see how it goes. Um, and this represents a kind of horizontal merger concept. So if you aren't familiar with those terms, a horizontal merger is a merger of rivals doing the same thing and shrinking the industry for whatever it is that they do most obviously, right? You've got two companies that make bread. One, one bread company buys the other. You have fewer companies that make bread when it's done. Now, you might have higher capacity because they bought all the capacity of the other bread company, but you have fewer actual entities in the bread market. And so in general, when we're talking about antitrust enforcement, the Governments are most concerned about horizontal mergers. They're the most obvious to affect competition and to potentially affect it negatively. Vertical mergers are supply chain type mergers. So Microsoft looks at this and says, well, okay, we're going to buy Activision. We're primarily in the business of selling Game Pass and Xbox uh, and other software services like cloud services. And so in this particular instance, 
um, vertical mergers would be getting more content into something like Game Pass, which seems to be the drive of Microsoft in this transaction. In that particular case, historically, antitrust regulators have not been as concerned with vertical mergers as horizontal mergers, which is one of the interesting things in the FTC's documents is, hey, we're, we're talking about vertical stuff. We're talking about Game Pass. We're talking about cloud. We're talking about consoles. There's kind of reverse vertical, but that that's okay. Here, they start out by establishing, hmm, maybe we've got a horizontal issue here, which isn't obvious. And it's kind of a loser of an argument, as we've talked about, because neither Microsoft nor Activision have enough market share. Uh, let's hit some super chats here. And I do apologize for the pace we're likely to go through this. Uh, I have to make sure I'm not just coughing all over you as we go. I'm, I feel fine, folks, so don't worry about that. It's just a matter of uh, where my voice is at this point in time. Uh, El Capitan 22, thank you for the super chat, says, Good day, Hogue. What kind of lawyer would take this case and why? I can't believe they actually have a chance to win, so why? Well, you could get a retainer. You get paid just to write this document. Uh, the plaintiffs could say, hey, we want you to write this document and go for it. If you're a plaintiff's class action law firm uh, and you don't have anything going on, you might look at this as a marketing initiative. You might look at this and say, all right, well, maybe somehow this gets through. We'll get paid on commission. And if it does get through, we'll get paid a lot. And if it doesn't, well, we weren't doing anything. And or maybe we let our associates practice drafting a document. You just don't know on this stuff. <coughs> Skytron, in your opinion, what are the most important factors for the merger going one way or the other? Glad to catch the stream. Love and respect. Thank you, Skytron. Um... For me, the most important factor is whether Microsoft chooses to pursue it through an action. Uh, the FTC's uh, case is weak or weakish. Um, we've talked about that in prior videos. Check those out. Uh, but what I can't predict is whether Microsoft has the appetite to pursue this to the end or how it feels about Activision and that price now at the end of 2022. Right? A whole year has passed. The economy is, you know, the economy. And uh, going forward, it's going to be interesting to it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see what. Microsoft does and what Microsoft might do in the face of the CMA and the EU making certain determinations pretty early in the year next year. So those are things that I think are, are worthy of watching out for. Uh, but yeah. All right. Hang on again. My goodness. All right, we're going to see how we can do uh, during all this. Every time I start one of these, I say, all right, we're going to do fine. We're going to get through the stream. It's going to be great. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it really knocked the wind out of my sails last week. Uh, and so we'll, we'll try to see if we can make it through. Drawn TJ, Morning Hogue, do you think uh, the FTC has a case? The FTC has presented a case. I think it's a losing case. Uh, I would never promise anything uh, in front of an administrative law judge or even a court of appeals. Uh, so it's possible. It certainly extends the bounds of what is traditionally historical antitrust enforcement. Uh, so I think it's a loser. Uh, but even getting to the point of establishing it being a loser is potentially a years long proposition uh, if the FTC just holds its ground in terms of proceeding with the proceeding. And so I just don't know whether Microsoft wants to undergo that or not. Uh, Phaedra Socrates, can their loss provide MS with useful precedents? Their loss here, getting kicked out of court from this lawsuit? No, this lawsuit doesn't matter. This lawsuit isn't going to affect the FTC, isn't going to affect Microsoft, uh, isn't going to affect anything going forward in all likelihood. Now, if it gets past a motion to dismiss, if somehow California says, sure, let's give it a run, uh, it could distract. You could have other kind of things that happen there. 
but it's not going to directly affect the FTC's uh, administrative proceeding against Microsoft. Pre-authorized transaction. Do lawyers tell plaintiffs we have a case or do they say we will draft it, but this won't go anywhere? I'm curious to know what they say. Depends on the lawyer. Right. So interestingly enough, and you'll note I avoid this throughout my YouTube channel. Uh, you know, one of the ethics rules uh, that uh, that binds us as a profession is that we aren't really supposed to disparage our colleagues in the field. Uh, and so I don't. Uh, now, you might say, Rick, I, I, I go on CNN or I go on Fox News or I go and I watch people talking about uh, each other as lawyers and I see things like Ben Chu's emails to Elaine, et cetera, et cetera. And people are constantly disparaging each other. You can you can you can opine as to the their lack of competence in general, especially when you're engaged directly with them. Uh, but I don't know what these lawyers said. I, I would argue that the ethical stance here is very limited chance for this to go anywhere. Uh, because of that, I'm going to need a retainer. If you still want to pay for this for me to draft this up, I'm happy to do it. Uh, but I have to warn you in, in advance that this is unlikely to succeed. Uh, to me, that's. That's the ethical stance. And, and obviously, reasonable minds can differ on the proper ethics approach. There are certainly lawyers. Lawyers have a reputation for a reason. They'll just be like, oh, yeah, this is in the bag. 100%. Yeah, just uh, just put the money in the bank account, and we're going to get this done for you. And we're all going to be millionaires, and we'll be sipping Mai Tais on a beach somewhere. Some of that practice is salesmanship. And there are ethics rules around telling clients uh, what their chances are. There are certainly malpractice cases about making guarantees that aren't guarantees. You should never make a guarantee if you're in the practice of law, that kind of thing. Uh, but different lawyers will do different things. I don't know how this went down. I don't know how this got started, uh, but it is a, a very weak case with a very limited chance of doing much of anything. So it's an interesting question. All right, back to the document. Uh, Microsoft and Activision are big. Uh, Xbox does what it does. Video games are super popular. Uh, in addition to the elimination of a significant rival, the proposed acquisition may give Mark Microsoft far outsized market power in the video game industry. See, when I when I said in my tweets on this yesterday, because I, I skimmed this because a, a couple of reporters asked me about it. I always appreciate that, by the way. I always try to make time for that because I can't sit here in virtual reality and complain about reporting and then not respond to people that can that, that are legitimately asking for help on this stuff. So I always try to respond to those. And I, I skimmed this. And when I say it's potentially worse than the FTC, it's because of this. The FTC, we can disagree with their market definition of Game Pass or cloud services or even high-performance consoles. They aren't silly enough to go and suggest that this transaction gives Microsoft power in the video game industry, full stop. That's, that's a crazy proposition. Nobody even thinks that's remotely close. Uh, not the CMA, not the EC, not the, not the FTC. So you see this, and this is hyperbole. At minimum, it's not probably what they're going to argue in this document, I wouldn't think, but but it is hyperbole. Uh, somebody pointed me to section nine here. The development and publishing of video games are also critical inputs to new gaming platforms and distribution methods, such as multi-game subscription services and cloud-based gaming. This is trying to follow along with the FTC, right? You got the FTC document out there. You got the CMA report. You're trying to use what is already out there. And you, you may not know exactly how to put this together at the front end here. The current trend towards concentration, lessening of competition, and the tendency to create a monopoly in the video game industry was already harming competition at an alarming rate before the proposed acquisition was announced. What's interesting to that is that that's shade at the regulatory bodies, right? You've already let too many deals go through. Um, and so this is actually already a bridge too far. We're, we're past the point where the regulatory bodies should have stepped in. Um, so this is almost arguing that you need private action because regulatory bodies weren't doing their job, which, of course, is a little bit ironic because they are doing their job, according to you. 
for this very deal that you're suing over. If Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision is allowed, the video game industry may lose substantial competition and Microsoft will get that far outsized market power. It's a, prob it's a problem with Section 7 of the Clayton Act. Private action is authorized under the Clayton Act. You're entitled to sue and have injunctive release against threatened loss or damage by a violation of the antitrust laws. The remedy afforded to private plaintiffs includes injunctive relief prohibiting any potential unlawful acquisition. Yeah, you can have private actions on mergers, but there's a reason that they're so rare. The Clayton Act codifies Congress's intent to encourage vigorous private litigation against anti-competitive mergers that may substantially lessen competition, uh, says a California case in 1990. Probably not great that you're looking at stuff that's 35 years old, but fine. Plaintiffs bring this action under the authority of Section 16. Yep. Competition rather than combination is the rule of trade in the United States so that these plaintiffs and the public at large, you don't get credit for those, may enjoy the benefits and innovations that come from competition, including, among others, improved quality and increased choices at the lowest possible prices. Uh, again, uh, it's, it's, it's a pendulum with those. Uh, if you got increased quality, you could also have increased prices. Uh, same with you could have lower quality if you also got lower prices. We're, the government and these private enforcers aren't in the business of deciding what the proper quality price mix is for you. The example I've given in the past in this channel is uh, you can have a $500 desk fan. You could also have a $50 desk fan that is clearly much worse and is only going to last a year or whatever. But we still we still want the, co the consumer to have the choice as to whether to buy the high-end desk fan or the low-end desk fan. Uh, it isn't it isn't that we can only have high-end, low-price goods uh, in the United States to work it out. Now, who are the parties? This is where things really kind of came apart when I was originally looking at this document. So before we get to the parties, let's let, let's grab some of these super chats. Oh, again, I always appreciate the support. No merger yet, so no damage. Isn't this frivolous? No, I, they make the right claim under the, the Antitrust Acts of the United States that says there is a private cause of action to stop a merger. Uh, so this is, the, this is a possibility that Congress foresaw. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that it's almost impossible to prove from a private side of things. And you don't get this kind of broader, grander, ephemeral, we're just fighting for competition that you can apply directly to plaintiff classes as a, as a private enforcement mechanism, generally speaking. It has been done. It can be done. Uh, we'll see if they get to a level that that looks like it's probable here. Spoiler alert, they don't. Uh, but it, they, they've, they've said it correctly. They just face huge hurdles as to try to figure out how to make this case. Uh, and and like I said, we'll evaluate whether they do. Thank you so much. Uh, who's your daddy uh, for the super chat? I appreciate it. You, you, you all have some really inventive profile names. Uh, I love it. <clears throat> the plaintiffs named below are citizens of the cities and states listed. So let's take a look at them. So Dante Martini is a video gamer located in San Francisco, California. Plays video games on the PlayStation and his PC. Uh, he has purchased titles from Activision, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Overwatch 2, StarCraft 2, Diablo 3, and Hearthstone. I, I limited this to purchase, but it also says plays. So they're allowed to mention those free-to-play games. Curtis Burns also lives in San Francisco. He's played Call of Duty. Nicholas Eldon lives in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, and he's played Call of Duty, Diablo, Tony Hawk, and others. Jesse Gallivan lives in San Francisco, Call of Duty. So you see a certain San Francisco group here. Uh, Christopher Joseph Giddings LeFay lives in San Rafael, California. He's played Call of Duty, and uh, he only plays games on his PC, so he's not a PlayStation gamer, technically. Uh, Steve Herrera plays games on his PlayStation and his Switch. He's played uh, Activision games, including including Crash Bandicoot. We'd actually really have to look at the years there as to whether he played Activision's Crash Bandicoot or someone else's. 
especially when we're also bringing in Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hunter Joseph uh, Jakubko is from Los Angeles. Uh, he's got a very similar list of things here. Now, it says he plays on the Xbox and PlayStation. Good luck proving damages there for, for Mr. Jakubko, uh, but we'll see. Uh, Daniel Loftus, Call of Duty and Overwatch, he plays on his PlayStation. Uh, Edward Owen uh, plays on his PC and Xbox. Again, damages? Question mark? <laughs> Call of Duty and Overwatch. And Ivan Calvo Perez is from San Francisco, and he plays on his PlayStation and uh, Windows PC, Call of Duty, Diablo, StarCraft, and WarCraft 3. So this group of what is predominantly described as PlayStation gamers, and I think that's accurate because most of these say PlayStation and PC, just PlayStation. This says all of them, uh, and, and mobile. Nicholas Eldon wants it known. He plays some games. Uh, PlayStation 5. Now... So they're going to be making the claim, one would assume, that all of gaming is hurt because certainly the person that plays mobile PC, Xbox, Nintendo, and, and Sony uh, is going to be able to ride out most storms on exclusivity, right? Uh, so that's that's a bit difficult to prove damages to unless you can say overall gaming will collapse. So we'll see where they go. We know what Microsoft is. We, we, we know who Satya Nadella is. We know they sell Windows. They sell their own games. They have a bunch of different developers, 23 by number here. I think it's 34 if they collect everything that they're currently in the process of buying. They also have Azure. Let's talk about a few numbers. Video gaming is great. $197 billion in revenue this year. Annual growth rate is 7.67%. I think it's down this year. So that's, a, that's at least a little omitting certain things. Uh, in 2021, 3.24 billion consumers of video games with 226.6 million gamers in the United States alone. All right. Are you combining mobile there? Are you combining PC? Generally speaking, the FTC, again, is smart enough to know we're not really talking about the PC market. We're not really talking about the mobile market uh, when we're talking about uh, console games and Game Pass and things like that. Now they're struggling with certain definitions. I, roughly 50 years ago, Pong was released in 1972. I love it. I love it. Give us a history of video games. Council, go get those words in there. Got You got to hit your word count, right? Especially if you're taking a retainer check. In recent years, the trend towards concentration of power in video games has increased dramatically. This is true. Dramatically? We got Bungie bought. We got ZeniMax bought. I guess those are pretty dramatic. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. In 2021, there were 1,100 mergers worth $85 billion, the highest in history, and over three times the deal value of mergers in the video game industry in 2020. Do you mean that there were 1,100 mergers in the video game industry? Or, or just 1,100 mergers? Um, it feels like it could use a, like a, like a partner pass, right? What do, what do you mean by that? I, I have not seen your evidence yet. What, what are you, what are you talking about here? Maybe a little clarity. I assume video games. I don't know what 1100 mergers would be in video games. You know, we've been doing virtual legality for a while here, uh, but there could be smaller ones. I, I don't know. That number was quickly surpassed just six months into 2022 which saw $107 billion spent on acquisitions across 651 transactions in video games. You can't be talking about video games now, right? I would know if there were $107 billion in acquisitions in video games, 651 transactions. Are you cheating, counsel? Where are these numbers coming from? Hmm. Hmm. Virtually, Gaddy couldn't function if I had to cover... 651 mergers. 
The rapid concentration of the video game industry has not escaped notice by industry participants and consumers. Nathan Brown, a game consultant and industry author, suggested the video game industry is concentrating power overwhelmingly in the hands of a small number of corporations. Okay. Okay. Britt says, 226 million gamers in the U.S. only? Really, that is impressive. I agree that they have to be including mobile gaming like anyone who played Snake on the Nokia phone. Yeah, for the population of the U.S., what is it, about 350? So, yeah, when you do that, there's all sorts of definitions that cause problems in the video game industry. And usually they cause problems in low stakes areas, right? When you're on Twitter and you're talking about gatekeeping with Redditors and you want to know whether mobile gamers should be considered real gamers. And, you know, you have these conversations. Now, of course, I'm not the Federal Trade Commission. I didn't just put a paragraph into a legal document that said Nintendo is for casuals uh, and serious gamers play PlayStation and Xbox. True story. That's in their complaint document. Uh, so I am not stoking these particular fires. I love all my consoles equally. Uh, but yeah, this is a little bit more high stakes. And I suspect they mean anybody that has ever turned on a gaming app on their phone. <laughs> Council used the Konami code, says Uncle Thursday Gaming, to get to those numbers. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't. I, if, if they are, you know, that's what, the kind of thing that it looks to me like it's every merger in the United States. Uh, that they're that they're combining into these numbers. If they're trying to use that to establish concentration in video gaming, that's a cheat. That starts to feel like if you're not going to play fair with me, counsel, I'm going to have to start reading all of your sentences and claims with a jaundiced eye, uh, right? So I, I would want at least some background there. Uh, it, it, it looks ridiculous. So I'm willing to say, hey, I don't know everything on earth. You're going to have to source that for me now. You didn't source it for me. I, I start to look at this and say, well, okay. Jacob Pratt has a question. Could you explain how a federal court ruling, if this case is seen, would or wouldn't affect the FTC's administrative complaint? Seems to benefit Microsoft. Wouldn't affect it at all. The most likely outcome here is this gets dismissed uh, for lack of standing and just general ridiculousness. Uh, and that doesn't affect what the FTC is doing, period. Uh, the other alternative that I see is it somehow gets past that motion uh, and then gets stayed, gets paused pending the FTC's review. Because there's nothing to cure if the FTC blocks the deal. And so one thing that the courts are also watching out for is we don't want to double up efforts. There's limited resources. There's limited judge time. There's limited court time. These things are expensive for the actual government of the United States and the state of California to actually function, to operate, to look at. So we don't want to double that up if we can avoid it. So I don't think this has any effect on the FTC. Um, so you can you can dismiss that right out of hand. Uh, but I appreciate the question. Drawn TJ. It's BS that the FTC is using the Bethesda deal as evidence when Bethesda was a private company, not a public trading company. They're going to lose. How about you use evidence from ABK? Well, so Bethesda not being traded on a secondary market really doesn't change anything from the antitrust perspective. Uh, so they can use Bethesda actions as uh, an effort to establish that Microsoft is untrustworthy, which they have attempted to do. Uh, I think it's a bit of a failure for how they have presented it. But I also thought... I think we have to be fair about this. Even if you're an Xbox fan, I also thought Microsoft was not terribly precise in the way that it dealt with the immediate aftermath of purchasing ZeniMax. How it described things early in that year and how it described things immediately thereafter. Uh, and I, I'm on the record. I have videos saying I felt their messaging was muddled uh, and, and complaining about that. Now, did I know that it would have a legal effect, uh, which I think is limited, but did I know it would have a legal effect that the FTC would bring up? I did not. Uh, that was a little bit difficult to anticipate when I didn't know they were going to buy Activision the next year. Uh, but 
I do think that that messaging was muddled. And I think had they done it a little bit better, that would not have been a point of contention uh, as of right now with respect to Activision. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you Microsoft or Phil Spencer or Satya Nadella is perfect. They're not. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's a kind of fault that should cost them the deal. Uh, but it is the kind of thing where I say, all right, I can at least see where you're coming from, FTC, even if I think you're wrong. Uh, so they've got a game consultant named Nathan Brown uh, saying it's getting concentrating power. We don't know anything more about Nathan Brown. I've never heard of Nathan Brown. Uh, that could be on me. Maybe it's somebody I should know. Uh, but there's no question that purchasing companies is happening and that fewer companies are owning more IPs. Uh, January 18th, Microsoft announced the deal. The unlawful acquisition requires Microsoft to pay Activision Blizzard a reverse termination fee. It gives the actual right numbers here because it's a legal document of between two and three billion over these uh, dates. Uh, and reverse termination fee, normal termination fee, you can call it either way. If it terminates, they owe this money. Activision Blizzard, you know, they make Call of Duty. We, we know what Activision Blizzard is. They make AAA games, which is going to be important in this document. Dear God, if you thought we had trouble trying to define AAA games uh, just as gamers and people interested in the industry, wait till the law tries to get it. Uh, video game platforms play video games. We know what consoles are, right? We got a pretty good got a pretty good grip on this. Uh, they do include a reference to Nintendo, which is nice to see as part of the industry. It's good. Uh, Nintendo consoles, like the Nintendo Switch, are far less powerful. Thus, Microsoft and Sony are the only two producers of the high performance segment of consoles. A segment which, by the way, does not exist uh, until the Federal Trade Commission deigned it to be so uh, a couple of weeks ago. So you can see what these lawyers are doing is this is what you might call piggybacking. Uh, on what the FTC has said. If it's good enough for the FTC, it's good enough for me. Uh, but no one has realistically ever separated the market in this way, uh, not in advertising, not in marketing within retail environments, uh, not in game award segments, not in anything else, not in uh, journalistic outlets. IGN has an Xbox, has a PlayStation, has a Switch section uh, on, their, on their site, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's useful if you're trying to get that denominator down and getting this deal through. There's also PC gaming. We understand PC gaming. Although the term PC means personal computer, the term PC is often used to mean specifically Windows and non-Apple. This complaint uses the term TC to mean, PC to mean any computer, including Apple. However, given that roughly 90% of computer gaming occurs on Windows, the two meanings of the term are largely interchangeable with respect to PCs. Okay. Why are you talking about PCs? They're definitely not the same market. It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> Uh, let me grab some super chats while we're going through here. Uh, who's your daddy's back? If the merger passes in the EC and the CMA, could MS close over top the FTC, forcing them to file an injunction before bypassing the ALJ? I like the number of acronyms in there. Uh, who's your daddy? So this question is basically, let's say the Europe and the UK just say, that nah, deal's cool. We've thought about it. Deal's cool. So Microsoft is at that point only facing a block attempt from the United States. Could they, because there isn't a federal injunction, could they decide to close their deal and then proceed through the, the proceeding. Actually, it asks if you could bypass. You can't bypass it. So this litigation isn't going anywhere. So what happens if there is a breach of a condition uh, is that the parties can decide to close over it. Uh, and so in this case, you've got as part of the merger agreement, we're not currently under litigation to stop this deal. <laughs> it's a promise that Activision makes to Microsoft, uh, et cetera. And, and so... Uh, you can go and say, well, so technically we don't have to close because that's in breach right now. And we would wait for that to be solved. But the parties could decide 
yes, we're going to close over this thing. Sometimes you close over it with an amendment as well, where you say, okay, we're going to need indemnification. We're going to need to rethink our termination fee, whatever it might be. You close over it then, and then you close the deal, and then you still have to proceed with the FTC, who's going to try to block it now retroactively. Uh, so the FTC, as we've talked about, they don't approve deals, uh, and they can go and they can unwind them after they've happened. So in this particular case, you can go, you can close your deal, and then they can go and proceed through the complaint. And part of the complaint could be to say, all right, you got to divest. This deal is not allowed, uh, and, and we're going to divest. Microsoft, if it felt particularly strongly about its case, uh, could close over it, could start to integrate the companies and do everything else it wants to do with it, and then just fight it in court over the course of the years. To me, I can't imagine one of my clients, who's admittedly not spending near $70 billion in general, uh, on their deals, closing over a pending federal litigation. Um, that That is too much risk, uh, and that's too much of a chance, regardless of how you feel about the strength of their case, for you to be asked to effectively increase the cost of compliance and problems because you'd have to unwind whatever direction you want to go in. Now, I know that there have been places that I have seen uh, I've seen it in The Escapist. I've seen it in Axios. I've seen it in some other places. They say, well, this means that they can close. Uh, and it does mean that they aren't blocked from closing, uh, but they could be asked to unwind. And so I, I just can't imagine it. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I can promise you that Microsoft and their, their directors wouldn't decide on taking that course of action. I just think it unlikely. Uh, thank you for the question. Rydenblade. Hey, Hogue, welcome back. Hey, thank you. What if ABK says we have decided to terminate Call of Duty and we are no longer making the title? What would be the outcome? Like before the deal? Their shareholders would sue them for breach of fiduciary duty. Remember that the management of ABK doesn't own the company, that the owners are the people that own the shares. Uh, and the management of ABK, including the board, uh, has a directive to go and use the assets they have been given from their investors to the maximal extent possible, to make profit as much as possible. Call of Duty is the crown jewel of the Activision console-facing empire. Uh, so in that particular case, if you just said, we're going to spite you, or we're going to try to get this deal through, or what have you, uh, chances are they would get sued by their shareholders. Uh, they're already getting sued by their shareholders for taking too little of an amount of money uh, on the deal. And I, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I haven't covered it in this space, but it's... Uh, it's always the case that you can find some shareholders that'll be angry at the steps you take and, and cutting off your main asset is, is one of those. It, interestingly enough, and I've, I've talked with others about this, you know, one of the things I have thought about doing is some more fictional analysis of things that I like in pop culture. And, and one of the ideas that always pops up in my head is in the original Iron Man from 2008, Tony Stark deciding to move off of weapons development for Stark Industries is almost certainly a fiduciary duty violation. Uh, that this is what you do, this is how you make money, uh, and deciding to do something else, it, it, he doesn't have that total authority uh, to do that with the other investors' dollars. And, and so we might wind up talking about that sometime in the future. Uh, but that's that's in all likelihood what would happen. And, and it's it's fun to do those thought experiments. That will never be the case in this particular scenario. Britt Cormier says the PC footnote is someone earning their pay via words included in the brief. <laughs> I do like it finishes with like, uh, so this is the distinction, but it's not our distinction and it doesn't matter anyway. Good footnote. Thank you. I feel I feel like that time was usefully spent. Usefully spent time. All right. So they're talking about PCs. Uh, another important factor is quality and quantity of games. Uh, Call of Duty has been developed for all these different platforms. Now we're talking about mobile gaming. All right. Where are we going to go with this? Mobile gaming is largely targeted at different user base. Players are able to play games directly on their phone. All right. I think we know what mobile gaming is. Cloud gaming services. 
<clears throat> in cloud-based gaming, the service provider runs the hardware to process the video game and then sends it down to you. In fact, that is the case. Numerous companies have begun to try to develop these services, including Stadia, Luna, Shadow, Xbox, and PlayStation Now. Now, if we're being really honest, PlayStation Now has existed for quite a bit longer than these other options. Uh, but nope, we don't uh, we don't get a we don't get a PlayStation Now. Just so we're clear, court PlayStation Now has been around a pretty long time. Used to be called Gaikai. Sony bought them a long time ago. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> uh, there's cloud-based gaming. Gaming content uh, is is video games marketed to people. Seriously, what are we doing here? Legal complaint. What is a video game developer? All right. I mean, you do want to talk to the court about what these things do, but you can't assume a certain amount of uh, court taking it under its own advisement. What's a publisher? What's a distributor? <clears throat> so developers are the folks that make games. Publishers are the folks that help get games to market. Distributors are part of the publishing process, which are the actual logistical uh, value of getting games to market. What are the relevant product markets? Now, I'm sure you're almost sick of hearing me say this, but an antitrust case is going to be determined probably 90% of the time by setting the markets. Uh, that if you set the market small enough, everybody's a monopolist, everything's a problem. If you set the market big enough, nobody's a problem. And so figuring out what the appropriate market is, is a fight that both sides always have <clears throat> and that judges often determine on their own. We saw with Epic versus Apple that Apple offered some markets, Epic offered some markets, and the judge took a different market. It was a variant of what Apple had offered, uh, but it was not anything that either side had actually briefed. And they determined uh, that that market wasn't, uh, that, that Apple's actions with its contracts weren't otherwise violating that market. <clears throat> so video games are a relevant product market. We need to take a step back on this, folks. Video games, whole thing. It's a relevant product market. Okay. Presumably you're naming it a relevant market because you think that you can prove that there's a lack of competition or other harm done in the entirety of video games by Microsoft purchasing Activision. Now, it's true that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. But when you're crafting a legal document, Taking stupid shots hurts the chances for even the good shots. It just really does. <clears throat> so let's take a look at what they have to say here. Video games are unique entertainment and competitive pursuits without similar or substitutable products. Okay. Well, maybe. Video gamers are unlikely to substitute other types of games for video games in response to a small but significant price increase. <clears throat> so they say board games, card games, and puzzles. I like puzzles. Let me get out the thousand piece puzzle. I will say as me personally, I'm pretty likely to substitute more board games if the prices were to get a little bit different. I love board games. And certainly a lot of video games emulate a board game experience. Uh, so <clears throat> that's that's an interesting assertion. We're going to allow it because this, is, this deal can't possibly affect the entire market of video games. So, okay. Max Bedford says CMA just put out their public response findings. Oh, did they? Okay. We'll, we'll see how my voice is doing at the end of this lawsuit review. Uh, I do have to do some overall catch-ups on these kinds of things. Uh, but I wanted to cover this. Uh, video games are unique. Video game industry recognizes this as shown by the different marketing techniques used for video games. 
Uh, video games constitute a line of commerce. Video game market is subdivided into smaller relevant product markets. Okay. Look, video games are clearly bright line enough from other things that you can use it as the whole market. The problem is you're never, ever, ever going to win that this is going to affect the entire video game market enough. Console gaming constitutes a separate market. I'll grant you. Console gaming is different than mobile, is different than PC. I really don't think there's much of a fight here. Console gaming has distinct customers compared to other gaming products, resulting in the term console gamer. Now, I think your argument is right here. However, your leading eight or 10 plaintiffs up above uh, kind of put paid to this lie, don't they? Right? Don't almost all of them say, I play a console and a PC, or I play a console and mobile and a PC and that kind of thing. So, okay. Uh, PC gaming constitutes a relevant product market. Okay. PC separate from consoles. Uh, mobile gaming constitutes a relevant product market. Okay. All separate markets. Triple A video games constitute a relevant product market. Nope. Let's see. Triple A video games are video games with the highest production values, the best graphical and visual experiences, and are the most marketed and widely distributed and are highly anticipated by industry participants. Now they're aping the CMA's, not the CMA, the FTC's language. But note, as I did when we went over the FTC lawsuit, the FTC itself is not silly enough to go and argue that AAA gaming is a separate market. They kind of suggest it in some of the ways they use AAA gaming in their complaint document, but they are never silly enough to try to take this amorphous, non-existent definition of what a AAA video game is and try to suggest that there isn't a market competition between whether I'm going to buy Modern Warfare 2 or Stray or nobody saves the world or whatever it is that I might otherwise purchase. There is clearly competition for your gaming dollar and certainly AAA games, which do exist at a high production level can still be a bit crap, right? Not every AAA game is a winner and not every indie game is a, is a sure loser. So this is an absolute incorrect argument. And the FTC who made a weak complaint document wasn't even silly enough to go this far. AAA video games have distinct customers due to their widespread appeal. AAA video games' prominence and uniqueness in the industry is reflected in the ability of only a small number of companies being able to publish AAA games, including Microsoft, Sony, Activision, Blizzard, Electronic Arts, Take-Two, and Ubisoft. Did you really leave Nintendo off the AAA gaming publisher list? Perhaps the best developer on earth? <laughs> Heck, if we're going to talk about the other markets, where's Valve? Where's the mobile companies? <laughs> Video game subscription services constitute a relevant product market. So they have to make this distinction, which we've talked about a lot, that buying a game is not a substitute for subscribing to a game, which I think is an absolute straight up loser, that there is federal law precedent, antitrust enforcement precedent that suggests that business models don't change markets. Let's see what this says. Video game subscription services such as Xbox are also unlikely to be substituted by gamers for other rental game services. Nope, that's not what we're even talking about, Council. Due to the specific titles that the subscription offers, what? Strong network effects and the ease of obtaining a large catalog of games for a major discount. <laughs> the business model's too good, Your Honor. Nobody would buy a game. Who's even buying God of War Ragnarok? So, of the many problems with this sentence, and again, their job is to try to say that it isn't substitutable for buying games, 
they say is other rental game services. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You're not trying to establish that Xbox Game Pass is a relevant market, surely. Are you? Because that's when we start talking about other rental game services. <clears throat> You're trying to say that game subscription services constitute a separate market, which means we're talking about substitutes outside of game subscription services. You bonkers council. <laughs> so you failed on that score. And then strong network effects are, are true, probably. Although if all the games dropped off a of Game Pass tomorrow, you'd see a lot of subscriptions drop off as well. Uh, and the ease of obtaining a large catalog of games for major discounts is just a description of what subscription services are. So, wow. Yeah, the business model is pretty strong. That's Microsoft's main argument. This, again, and this is where you see the FTC stumble here. You see the CMA stumble here. The reason they're all stumbling is not because counsel here is a moron. It's not because the CMA are idiots. It's not because the FTC doesn't know what it's doing. It's because there is no good way to distinguish Game Pass into its own market based on how markets are established. And that's substitutability. The products are the same. The only difference is the business model. And nobody seems to be able to get over that logical hump. And I don't really blame them, but you can see what it looks like to kind of back into a legal position, right? We talk about this with Supreme Court decisions all the time, but you can see what it looks like, which is to say, all right, we need this to be true. So we're going to assert it. And then we're going to figure out why. And that often looks pretty bad. And it does in this case as well. Britt says, are they actually making the argument for PC Master Race now that we have console gamers and real gamers? I don't think so. We're going to have to see how they use these relevant mar product market definitions. But usually when you establish a relevant product market, you're going to try to say that whatever deal you're talking about, whatever action you're talking about, if you're looking at restraints of trade, is affecting this market. So they've tried to uh, nail down like nine markets here, uh, some of which are very specious indeed. Dean Larson, is the Steam Deck a high performance console? It's somewhere in between a Switch and like a, a PlayStation 5, right? That's where the piggybacking comes in. The, the FTC doesn't make a good argument for why Nintendo isn't included. Steam Deck could be included in that same kind of vein uh, as the Switch. In fact, I regularly plug in my Steam Deck just as I do with my Switch using the cords that I use to dock my Switch to a TV. Uh, Zelda no longer AAA, it seems, says Uncle Thursday Gaming. Weird, isn't it? One of the most anticipated games of next year, not AAA. Bizarre. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to reflect on this. Uh, Timur says, paragraph 171 already. CMA summary is three pages only. Okay. All right. I, I tell you what, I don't know whether my chat will try to block it because of the various buttons I have on, but if somebody could link that to me or send it to me on Twitter DMs, I will see if I can add that to the end of this video if my throat is still around for that. Okay, Timur? It's only three pages. I could potentially do that. <clears throat> okay. Let's proceed on. And try not to laugh too much. Uh, video game subscription services typically cater to customers who are willing to pay for monthly access to a large game library as opposed to purchasing individual games that they will own forever. Uh, no, no, nobody argues this. Nobody argues that they are different customers. It's just a different business model. Uh, I'm willing to both pay for monthly access. You can check out my receipts on Xbox Game Pass and purchase games like God of War Ragnarok. I know I'm weird. I don't exist according to the FTC and these plaintiffs, but... Yet I'm talking. The industry recognizes subscription services as a unique product. Uh, as shown in marketing for game subscription services, the placing of titles by developers on game subscription services as opposed to other means of distribution. Okay, folks. Is there any single game 
on a console game subscription service, because we'll talk about mobile and Apple Arcade, I guess, as part of this as well, uh, that is not available to purchase. Let me know, chat, because I don't know of one. Um, so this is, I don't, I don't call council liars, uh, but there, there, there's no title placed by a developer on a game subscription service as opposed to another means of distribution. Is there? Hmm. Video game subscription services have a distinct pricing model, which again, does not a market make. We talked about this with respect to the FTC lawsuit. Buying a car versus leasing that same car from a dealership does not make them separate markets, folks. Game console systems constitute a relevant product market. Didn't you already talk about consoles? Console gaming constitutes a relevant product market. Yes, I guess they're trying to distinguish the games that you might play on a console from the sales of the console itself. This is a muddled mess now. I don't know. I hope this was handed off to an associate. So the systems themselves are at play. Now that's of course a vertical kind of complaint. High performance console systems constitute a relevant product market. So they're just throwing everything they can at this uh, and then just going through. They're gonna try to ditch the Switch. Uh, Nintendo Switch was released in 2017, so it's a bit older. Yeah, it's definitely not getting brand new games or the most anticipated game of next year. So that makes the difference there. Has lower computational performance uh, than the current generation. That doesn't put them in a different market segment. <laughs> that puts them as a generation half step off. Was was the 360 not in the right market segment because it didn't release at the exact moment that the other systems did? It's kind of a weird thing to say. It has lower computational performance. So does the Series S. Should we address that at all in a legal document? Maybe? I don't know. Nintendo Switch is instead focused on permitting portable handheld use, sacrificing computing power, as if Nintendo had ever focused on computing power. They don't like to compete on those grounds, but that is a choice you can make within a market. It's called brand differentiation. Didn't look it up. Uh, the Nintendo Switch offers a different catalog of games and focuses on casual and family gaming. As if the PlayStation and Xbox don't have different catalogs of games. You can say this sentence about anything. The Xbox offers a different catalog of games and focuses on first-person shooter and racing action. The PlayStation offers a different catalog of games and focuses on third-person action adventures directed by Neil Druckmann, who's a very sad person. Parent, just based on the musical accompaniment of his games. The difference in computing power is reflected in a lower price for the Nintendo Switch, which retails at $299, as opposed to the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5, which retail at $499. Now, didn't you just mention that it's Three years older? Do you think that comes into play for pricing as well? Don't know. And the Xbox Series S is just that meme sitting outside a rainy window saying, you just can't ignore me. You can't pretend I don't exist. The industry recognizes high-performance console systems as a unique product shown in how the industry markets high-end gaming consoles and high-end consoles to gamers. And the new exclusive gaming titles only available on high-end consoles, which are pretty few and far between, to be honest. Uh, but the industry doesn't market things. This is very weird. This is a weird document. The industry doesn't market things. Sony markets how it wants to market. Xbox markets how it wants to market. Nintendo markets how it wants to market. Nintendo Directs exists. Sony State of Plays exists. Microsoft, whatever they have called their thing that fits into their Windows paradigm at any given time, exists. 
they all follow very similar marketing patterns. They all, well, except for Sony, appear during E3 week. They all do these various things. They all are participants in the industry. But the industry on a, on a whole doesn't, doesn't market. You can't aggregate these things. Uh, so, wow. Okay, computer operating systems constitute a relevant product market. Undoubtedly true. How does that impact Call of Duty? Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to go just, we're going to speed through this. They, they want to name every market on earth a market. We've got to get to these various things. Geographic market. We're focused on the United States because you're a United States court. Good job, counsel. Appreciate it. Uh, not all nations have access to stuff. United States is our market. Great. Great. Okay. That was their background. <laughs> so the way that legal documents are written, folks, is in that background section, you're supposed to put basically everything you need as elements to get to the complaints that you have. That didn't exist up here. There needed to be a section that talks about the damages these plaintiffs have experienced and the class itself. That is that is not that has not happened. Now they incorporate those paragraphs as if they had said something of import. Let's see where they go with it. Uh, it's January 18th. Microsoft announced plans to purchase. If you just incorporated that, you don't need to repeat yourself. I don't have the voice to yell at you. I'm glad you're all here with me for this. I'm glad you're all here with me for this. You could tell I only skimmed it when I was talking about things with people uh, yesterday. Uh, but my goodness, <laughs> my goodness. Let's grab some super chats before I lose my mind. Um, Uncle Thursday Gaming, I use Game Pass for Microsoft first pastry, probably party, but I would be interested in tasting a, a first pastry for Microsoft. And to try games I might not normally buy, I've found some fun games that I normally wouldn't buy. Honestly, Game Pass for me is kind of an indie curation search function. So I've tried Norco and I've tried other indie games that I might have not, not otherwise played. Um, and it needed to be that this year because Microsoft wasn't releasing much of anything. But it's certainly not the case that I suddenly stopped buying video games. If you went and looked at my receipts for both Game Pass and the games I purchased this year, you would find that I do in fact exist. <laughs> Pre-authorized says, I hope they stretch before they reach this far. You got to stretch. If you're going to reach that far. You don't want to hurt your arm. So you got to stretch it out. Good counsel is always doing, you know, morning sun salutes uh, to get ready for, for these kinds of documents. <laughs> hmm. Oh, my gosh. I see people are already concerned uh, about me and my health and, and well-being here reading these documents. But this is amusing to me. Uh, this is amusing. Uh uh, we've already got people talking to me about the CMA public responses. I will go to those documents. I, I, we're going to have time because they don't have enough substance here. <clears throat> Fabrice says, if Microsoft offers to put Call of Duty on GeForce Now for NVIDIA, not only they would put it into a rival cloud, but also another subscription service, do you think that would kill the FTC case? The FTC's stance, to, to be fully understood, is that whatever Microsoft promises, whether by contract or otherwise, is not to be trusted. And that's necessary for them to bring their claim because they signed a deal with Nintendo, they, they signed a deal with the CWA, they did all these various things. So no, I don't think anything Microsoft can do can actually just get the FTC off their case if they are where they are presenting themselves to be. If you think it's a smokescreen because they want to look strong and they're ultimately going to settle on those kinds of things, that's completely separate. But it, it leads to the same place, which is that Microsoft shouldn't be advancing any more balls, so to speak, on this because the FTC is either not going to be convinced or is just fronting anyway. And so, no, I don't think that would work. It's a great idea, 
Microsoft cares about just having cloud gaming increase and all these various things, and they could. They're, they're clearly kind of bending over backwards to try to make the Sony position make sense. But I think we're past that hump. I don't think that there's anything Microsoft can do to change the FTC's position, whether it is fabricated or whether they're serious. Uh, Edder says, on PlayStation, there are classic games only available on subscription PlayStation uh, Network Deluxe and Premium, but all Game Pass games are on sale outside. Wouldn't that be a hoot? <clears throat> so, classic games. So I know that when uh, they started that system, I was able to go buy like Siphon Filter on uh, the PlayStation Classics for 10 bucks. Uh, so your suggestion is that there are some of those that aren't made available through the store, which very well might be the case. It's not like I've gone through the list of things uh, that are on the, the PlayStation subscription service. But let's take that to its logical conclusion. The company then that is locking things behind subscription services is Sony itself uh, and not Microsoft, which is the deal you're trying to stop. So you can see that's not the greatest argument for you uh, if you're putting this particular document together. Thank you for flagging that, though. It is very possible. Uh, that that kind of thing could be happening. Okay. So you are restating things you've already incorporated. We're doing great. <clears throat> Under the proposed terms, Microsoft would purchase the deal. You've already incorporated this stuff. As Microsoft states, the consolidation would make Microsoft the world's third largest gaming company by revenue. Okay. Microsoft has stated it expects the acquisition to close sometime in 2023. Like this is literally all in your background. The unlawful acquisition agreement further requires Microsoft to pay Activision Blizzard a reverse termination fee. We... You incorporated all this. Okay. All right. This literally does start to look like you need to hit 45 pages. That's the assignment. The merger may substantially lessen competition or tend to create a monopoly. Okay. That's what the Clayton Act prohibits. How do we get there? We restate what the Clayton Act prohibits. Okay. Good start. The proposed acquisition is part of a dramatic wave of consolidation. None of that is Microsoft's problem. Stands to further lessen competition and harm consumers. The merger follows a long history of concentration in the markets. What? What markets? Are these lawyers? Which markets? You just defined 100. Which markets? May serve to further consolidate power in the gaming industry. It's bad. We're going to say it's bad again. Microsoft in particular is bad, has bolstered and cemented its large video game ecosystem through a series of mergers and acquisitions, all allowed, by the way, currently owning 24 different gaming studios, including Mojang, uh, Ninja Theory, Playground, Undead, Compulsion, Obsidian, In Exile, Double Fine, Zenimax, Rare. Rare? Why is Rare last? <clears throat> 2014, 2018, 2018, 2018, 2018, <laughs> You all see this, right? So when you're putting a legal document together, especially if you're going to use actual fact-based stuff, now all this should be background, right? If you are going to have these facts, and you think this is important, which it isn't. The fact that Microsoft bought a bunch of companies uh, between 2000 and now uh, is not, strictly speaking, significant to whether market share is impacted by this deal. But you think it is, you're going to put it all in. It should be in the top sections. You should be incorporating it by reference. But if you're going to do this research, you might not want to think that Rare was purchased in September of this year. 
So I can tell you what happened here uh, to some level. At some point in the long game of telephone of putting this list together, September 24th, 2002 became September 24th, 2022. Uh, But it does show kind of a complete lack of expert understanding as to what you are even the hell talking about. Right, Rare is a very early acquisition of Microsoft's and is responsible for, among other things, Sea of Thieves. Square that circle. <laughs> is it, this, this is the kind of thing that calls into question whether you looked up any of this stuff at all. How fast was this done? So, And I would chalk it up to just a simple typo. It is just a simple typo at some point. In some Excel spreadsheet, is somebody's putting this information together. But then you ordered this list. You ordered this list by date to kind of try to show the acceleration. Right, you just told us that there's an accelerating consolidation, that Microsoft's a bad actor, that they're evil on this front. You put Rare down here, and then you reference three games that are, I think, all before the acquisition. GoldenEye 007, Perfect Dark, and Banjo-Kazooie are Nintendo games. What in the world are we doing? <laughs> uh, so... It's, it's a simple, I'm not going to get too far on somebody's Scrivener's errors. That's fancy talk for typo. Uh, this is clearly just somebody hitting a two instead of a zero or even slipping on the second two and winding up with two zero zero two two and not knowing which direction it goes. I mean, that, that can happen. They're human beings, folks. But you do have to double check this stuff. This is fact-based stuff. This belongs first in the list, not last. And then you'd see that it probably doesn't belong in the list at all. You're trying to establish acceleration from 2014 on. 2002 is a different world in video games, but here we are. This is the kind of level of legal drafting you're getting in this document, right? Okay. Activision Blizzard is also the product of many significant mergers and acquisitions, uh, including they bought Raven in 97. Cripes, man. Uh, Treyarch 2001, Infinity Ward in 2003, High Moon in 2006, Vicarious in 2005. How how did we get 2000... You're going in order, and we got 2006s in front of 2005. I don't even know what we're doing. I haven't missed any Super Chats yet, I don't think, Raiden. Let me see. Just probably passed by. If I missed it, I will grab it. Uh, But you see, if you're going to do them in order like that, you're going to have to make sure. Just a quick check. Just a quick check. Um, Oh, my goodness. If I missed it, it's way back here. Apologize for this, Raiden. Um, And... uh, when we look at documents like this, it's I, I'm not going to blame anybody for, for simple errors. These are the kinds of things, however, that if you're going to put as part of your main argument, you have to make sure you get right. Because at, at a certain level, before you correct this, they'll be allowed to correct this. Uh, it, before you correct this, you're lying to the court. You're, you're saying things for, with, with the rare acquisition that isn't true. They accelerated until they bought a big company. Rare, very popular, makes good stuff. September this year, only a few months ago. Nope. Nope. We got the dates in the wrong order. Got this, Raiden. I'm sorry, I missed it. Since Sony is made between Sony and Microsoft, and Sony has made it clear that Nintendo is nothing, Sony is 70% and Microsoft has 30. That means Sony can't buy. Nobody really believes these market definitions is the sad truth about this in terms of the real politic here. Sony's going to be allowed to buy. Microsoft's ultimately going to be allowed to buy. The question is whether they are allowed to buy things this big. Um, And I, I think that they could easily win this case if they have the temerity to pursue it. Uh, but I just don't know on that particular particular question. And they bought King 
in 2016. Uh, proposed acquisition poses a substantial threat to the plaintiffs. These are gamers. And to the public at large, that doesn't matter, in that the proposed acquisition may substantially lessen competition in each of the relevant product markets and may cause loss of the plaintiff and the public at large in the form of higher prices, bad stuff. Proposed acquisition may also substantially reduce competition in the labor market for video game labor talent. Are any of your clients developers? Because nobody mentioned it. You can't just, you're not the FTC. The FTC can't even really make this argument, but they they could try. They didn't in this particular instance. But my God, you got to stick to your lane in a legal document. What? So the antitrust laws aren't, generally speaking, historically concerned at all with the interim content producers, right? They're concerned with consumers. Uh, and so this is a problem just on its face. But then throwing it into your argument for your gamer clients is insane. Employees in the video game industry may have substantially less choice among employers, and Microsoft may have outsized market power in hiring and retaining employees in the video gaming field, which requires specialized talent. This is particularly concerning given that Activision Blizzard is currently engulfed in lawsuits from employees. How is it particularly concerning to have Activision change management in that context? This honestly feels like just even a cursory review of the virtual legality playlist on this could have resulted in a better complaint document. Not to toot my own horn here, but this could be done better, even if it's a even if it's a silly argument, right? Uh, and I do apologize, Raiden, for missing that. So thank you for flagging it for me. Anybody, if I do miss one, I'm always trying to find those. I appreciate the support for the channel, and if I miss, I miss. So I, I like this. I'm so lost. I don't blame you. This is a meandering mess. Uh, a, a miasma of mediocrity. <laughs> so we'll, we'll continue pursuing this, but you can see that this council has adopted government positions or what they think should be government positions to advocate for some kind of overall harm to competition. Now, if you're going to make this claim, you can potentially make it by getting out there and saying something along the lines of, and thus my games are going to be worse, but you actually have to, tie that knot off. You can't just assert it. This is going to hurt all the relevant product markets. So consoles are going to be hurt. Mobile is going to be hurt. PC is going to be hurt. PC operating systems are going to be hurt. Uh, high performance consoles are going to be hurt. Gaming on consoles are going to be hurt. That huge list of relevant markets, they're just, it's going to affect them all. It's going to affect them all, Your Honor. Do you have any kind of logical, rhetorical argument for that, counsel? Happy to listen. I'm sitting here on page 31. Happy to hear what you have to say. Employees are going to be hurt. Concentration is going to limit employees' negotiating power. Okay? Activision Blizzard is one of the primary competitors for top talent in the gaming industry. Proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft may reduce the competition in the talent for this field. This is now six paragraphs about employment law, which is not traditionally anything the antitrust laws protect. Activision Blizzard is one of Microsoft's primary competitors. The merger of Activision and Blizzard and Microsoft will irreparably harm competition because Microsoft is acquiring and thereby eliminating one of only a few significant rivals of gaming content creation. Nobody thinks this is true. You have brought a horizontal merger gun to a vertical merger gunfight. Not even the CMA and the FTC are pursuing horizontal merger claims. They are sure losers. Sure losers. 
If Microsoft Activision Blizzard is allowed to commence, Microsoft will have far outsized market power in several key gaming markets, including the labor market, not a gaming market at all, which will allow Microsoft to further inhibit competition. So folks, this is a nonsense complaint document. This is, this is just asserting what the statute requires you to assert with no logical inference at all. Nothing to actually state how this works. The FTC is the freaking best Supreme Court opinion you've ever read compared to this complaint. The best. If you told me this was a fake document provided by 4chan, I would believe you. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Let's get done with this document. Let's grab a super chat as we head into the next section of their complaint. Uncle Thursday Gaming, this is starting to sound like it was written on Twitter, just throwing anything at the wall and going with seeing if something sticks. Yeah. Like I said, I don't I don't want to disparage other counsel, but this is not their best work. I can't imagine. Uh, video game industry is characterized by network effects and barriers to entry. Great. This is how you establish a market. It's above. Uh, you got significant network effects. You got uh, barriers to entry because you can, it costs money to buy other things. Uh, Microsoft's already substantial gaming ecosystem creates significant network effects. Sure. Video games themselves also have significant networks effects. As the Competition and Markets Authority found, their investigation ain't even over yet, Haas. If you go and look at their actual documents, they say that that's in preparation for an actual determination through actual economic analysis, but that it's a possibility that there could be an issue, says the CMA. They're not even ready to be used as citation yet. Gamers like to be on the same platforms as their friends to play multiplayer games. Oh my God, did you use the CMA to quote that gamers like to play multiplayer games with their friends on the same system? Okay. What are we doing? Most popular online multiplayer games attract even more users, sure. Video games are critical inputs for gaming platforms to be successful. Yep, and they're all unique. Gaming platforms allow a user to play video games, and thus the quantity and quality of the video games that are developed for a given platform are critical to a platform's success. Sure, that might that might constitute, if you really think it through this through, as competition at the console level. AAA games play an outsized role in the video game console market. Most video games are currently developed for both Xbox and PlayStation. And thus, a consumer who purchases Xbox or PlayStation will have access to play most video games developed for consoles. All right. Interrogative. Will this sentence change after Microsoft buys Activision? Further, would it change if Microsoft kept every single game in the Activision ecosystem as an exclusive for Xbox? The answer is no. Most games are still going to be on both platforms. Uh, regardless, that's why this is such a silly argument when we talk about like one single game or franchise like Call of Duty, even if it's massively successful. Microsoft directly competes with Activision Blizzard in game development for console and PC gaming markets. Sure, you're back to horizontal land. They're just not going to be big enough. There's no market concentration in the overall console or PC video gaming market. Microsoft directly competes in game publishing. I, I, I Look... Counsel, if you're going to bring another complaint, can I rec make this recommendation? Not legal advice, just practical advice. If it wasn't good enough for the FTC or the CMA to bring, it's not good enough for you. Those folks are already considering bringing ridiculous things. The FTC already has. Uh, they know that game development and publishing is not an ecosystem that is going to be dominated by this transaction, period. Not even close. 
not even close. Uh, the percentages that were shown in things like the Brazilian regulatory review have 10 and 20 percent of, of the possible distribution and publishing market, provided that there is no reduction in output uh, from the combined entity. And that's just not even close. Microsoft competes with Activision Blizzard in game distribution for the console and PC gaming markets. Oh, yes. The purchase of Battle.net. Purchase of Battle.net is really going to destroy that market. Proposed consolidation may substantially lessen current competition in the video game development, publishing, and distribution markets. All right. Oh, they have percentages for us. Good. Microsoft and Activision vigorously compete against one another to make video games. Interestingly enough, of course, because we are talking about a vertical merger in the rest of the non-crazy litigation context, uh, Activision Blizzard also provides content to Microsoft for them to sell their consoles and their Game Pass subscription services and provides content to Nintendo and, and Sony. So they, they compete, kind of, uh, and they're also symbiotic. Microsoft is the largest game publisher in the United States, controlling the development, production, and marketing of some of the industry's most popular video game franchises. By what metric? Number? Number of games? Revenue? Doesn't seem likely that it's revenue. Largest game publisher in the United States. Microsoft has approximately 23.9% of the market share of game publishing in the United States. Going to need a source on that. Activision Blizzard is the second largest video game publisher in the United States with approximately 10% of the market share. Activision Blizzard is one of only a few independent video game developers considered capable of reliably publishing AAA video games. They make one game a year on console, AAA. As the largest publisher in the United States, Microsoft owns numerous video game developers. Microsoft also controls many of the industry's most talented game developers and other key industry personnel. So, no, they don't. Uh, they don't control personnel. Uh, and in fact, video gaming continues to be one of the most dynamic areas of industry for people leaving and creating their own institutes. As it has since it began, see history of Activision. Uh, as the second largest publisher in the United States, Activision Blizzard owns numerous immensely popular game titles itself. If either company were to fail to deliver adequate quality and experiences in a range of game genres at a competitive price, consumers will choose to purchase other video games that provide better content at a more competitive price. True. If Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard were to be completed, one of Microsoft's significant rivals would be eliminated and competition would be significantly lessened. And this is where we just get confused when we're writing a document like this. So this is a horizontal merger complaint. Generally speaking, you'd look at market concentration levels after the deal were to go through to determine whether competition will be harmed. Let's give full faith and credit to what they say here. This puts a combined Microsoft and Activision Blizzard entity at about a third of the market for all of these things put together. Third of the market is that kind of area where you can look at something. You can say, we have to check market power. We have to check to see uh, whether it could be affected. That all kind of goes by the wayside when you do admit that if either company were to fail to deliver adequate quality and experiences, people would just go elsewhere. That's true. A combined Microsoft and Activision entity would have the same kind of market power as it does now separately, right? There's no indication and there's certainly no proof offered or even rhetorical argument made here that the combined entity would have such market power that it doesn't matter if they really raise the prices or it doesn't matter if all their games are a bit crap. Um, and that's what we're really looking at. When you talk about undue market power, substantially less than competition, do people still have a place to go? Is it likely that if all those things were to happen, really bad things on the output of the combined entity, that they would be stuck there? And if the answer to that is no, you did not make a case for market concentration. And I think it's fair to say here that they did not make that case. 
Lindsay with a super chat. I like to imagine the aspect of Microsoft Times Activision that is going to cause the most mayhem is when they change all the tips and tutorials in game to be given by that Microsoft cartoon paperclip that everyone hated. Clippy? Oh, man. Can you imagine Call of Duty with Clippy just doing callouts? Just Clippy saying, do you want to know how to throw your grenade? You can hit more people if you throw it around this corner. Microsoft, I'm available to voice Clippy if you just found those to be really, really good. Uh, thank you for the super chat, Lindsay. Uncle Thursday Gaming, rip cross-platform play, I guess. Well, they're not discussing any of the actual aspects of video gaming, right? Cross-platform play works for all the platforms with big games. Sony has its own problems with charging for that in various instances that we saw in Epic versus Apple when those documents came out. But... Yeah, that's being ignored in this document entirely, as is Nintendo, as are other aspects of video gaming. Derry in Britain, doesn't Microsoft and Activision allowing unions give workers more power, not less, in direct contradiction to the argument these are idiots are trying to make? They're ignoring all of that. They're ignoring that the AFL-CIO and the CWA have come out and said this deal should go through because Microsoft has, has agreed to one of the most robust neutrality agreements that any tech company ever has. Now... Uh, the FTC continues to kind of hold the line and say Microsoft isn't to be trusted on that stuff. But the president of the CWA is like, yes, they are. What are you doing? <clears throat> uh, and that's part of this fight. But they're ignoring everything that goes against them. This is not an honest broker type legal document. And yes, you're supposed to zealously advocate for your client, but you aren't supposed to omit things uh, that speak directly against your proposition. Uh, Dorian Gray says, if you could turn a clown car into a legal brief, I've seen worse than this. I mean, we went over the three and a half minute Kraft Mac and Cheese lawsuit. So, I mean, I've seen worse than this. There's no doubt there. <laughs> Pre-authorized says they'll need cream for the burns you're giving them. I don't think so. I'm trying to be gentle here. I'm basically assuming that this is a person right out of law school, has never seen a legal brief before, trying to put something together. Uh, obviously not the case, by the way, with all the named lawyers on the top of the document. Uh, but I'm trying. I'm trying. Look, they're, 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 uh, they're doing their best. Uh, but this 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 argument, this isn't going to fly anywhere. Not in Europe, not in the UK, uh, not in the US, uh, not in Antarctica. It doesn't work anywhere. The proposed consolidation may substantially lessen competition in the labor market. That is not a market you have any standing in whatsoever. None. So we'll just skip that. Proposed consolidation may give Microsoft outsized market power and the ability to further harm competition by foreclosing inputs to rivals in the relevant markets. So this is you... Repeating the FTC, they may cut off Call of Duty, which could hurt competition overall. You are a private enforcement avenue. You are supposed to be establishing how this hurts your clients. <clears throat> Activision Blizzard's games are critical to competition in high-end gaming, having no meaningful substitute. I, What I really love about this entire case now, in episode whatever we're on in the playlist, is you have to have so many people making the statement that is so patently absurd. That there isn't anything else you could possibly play except Call of Duty. If a meteor hit Activision headquarters and we lost all the assets of Call of Duty, gaming would survive. I promise. I promise. Uh, they talk about exclusivity here a little bit. They're making the same complaint as the FTC. Studies show 46% of PlayStation and Nintendo users in the United States would consider subscribing to Game Pass with the inclusion of Activision Blizzard titles. <clears throat> Sounds like a good marketing maneuver. But wait, Nintendo users would be interested in a Microsoft Game Pass subscription? Almost as if Nintendo users are within the video gaming industry? That can't be. 
nearly a fifth of this demand is based on the inclusion of quality franchise alone from where going to need some studies show is about the level of a hangouts and headlines uh, title nearly a fifth uh is uh, related to call of duty what where, where are you getting this from they got network effects uh they can move it to game pass they can make some money uh they talk about bethesda a little bit in fact microsoft has engaged in similar practices before restricting access to games from studios they've acquired now you just told us that call of duty has no equal so we can't even use comparables right there is no comparable how can you even say what somebody's going to do with Call of Duty? It's so magical. But they go down FTC Road. Uh, Starfield will be exclusive to Xbox, despite prior franchises from that publisher developing games for compatibility with other consoles. And other games not. We're not that far removed from Morrowind. Uh, Microsoft has also made public plans to make other titles ZeniMax exclusive, including Elder Scrolls franchise titles. I love using this one because Elder Scrolls 6 might not come out before I die. We have no idea what year Elder Scrolls 6 will come out. <laughs> Similar exclusivity decisions were reached after acquiring other studios such as Obsidian, In Exile, and Ninja Theory. You going to compare those to Call of Duty? Microsoft has currently made public promises to keep Activision Blizzard's game content, including Call of Duty, available, but their past history implies these promises are illusory. Microsoft is liars, Your Honor. Okay. We should probably address the Minecraft in the room here. That Minecraft is available on all the systems and increases in the Minecraft universe have been made available on all systems. We should probably address that if we're counsel, but no. And then we're just going to throw in cloud-based gaming. So just this is the this is the stew pot. This is the gumbo here. We got cloud-based gaming problems. They'll foreclose people in cloud-based gaming. Uh, such foreclosure strategies could reduce competition in the markets for console and PC video games, leading to higher prices and all sorts of bad stuff. Could, maybe, who knows? Proposed acquisition may reduce competition in the market for PC operating systems. How? How so? May reduce the ability of rival providers of PC operating systems to compete with Microsoft's operating system Windows by combining Activision Blizzard's game catalog with Microsoft's cloud-based game streaming Windows to Windows devices. If we were to do one of those surveys that you quote up above, Council, do you think that the answer to why I use Windows or why I use Linux or anything else is predominantly going to be because of video games? If you instead think that it's far more likely that the video game or that the console or, geez, boy, oh boy, the PC operating system market is instead defined largely by enterprise usage, uh, doesn't that really kind of kill your argument that putting Call of Duty on Windows is going to make it impossible to compete with Windows? Because you're dragging in a lot of extra stuff over video games when you start talking about OSs. It's one of the reasons I think the European Union is going to drop that argument that they have prepped for their phase two review. Uh, but there you go. This would discourage video gamers to buy non-Windows PCs. This would discourage video gamers from buying non... Is this English? This would discourage video gamers to buy non-Windows PCs from buying. We'll just we'll make that correct. Uh, this would discourage video gamers from not buying from from not buying Windows PCs. Okay, right. What percentage of the market is gamers? You didn't establish that. You didn't tie this off. You didn't dot i's. You didn't cross t's. In addition, Microsoft would receive the ability and incentive to engage in foreclosure strategies. Uh, you're just going to assert that. Okay. Combined with the rest of Microsoft's multi-product ecosystem, could strengthen all the bad things. In addition to currently competing against one another in video game development, publishing, and distribution, they are both strong vigorous and viable 
potential competitors in gaming markets in which they do not currently compete in. Oh, we're going with incipient competition. This is the FTC's Facebook within strategy to say you can't buy this because you could have instead built your own company and invested in it. Now, I don't know where they think employees come from, the employee tree, uh, but in general, even if you're going to build up on your own, you're still going to be taking aspects of things out of the existing market just to compete within it. But either way, it's a silly argument that's unlikely to hold water for the FTC, even in the Facebook case. It's certainly not going to hold water for what is ostensibly a video game player's I guess it's not a class action as we proceed through here. They didn't ask for a class. They're just representing these eight to 10 guys. And both competitors have been ready, willing, and able to compete in new gaming markets. Activision Blizzard is thus, thus a massive and vigorous competitor in the industry, already demonstrating its willingness to compete in new markets. That competition may be irreparably lost if the acquisition is allowed to proceed. The shape of the gaming industry and its future is forged through the competition of these behemoths. What are we doing? The competition in the industry brought by Activision Blizzard must be preserved to ensure that the next generation of video game innovation and value are enhanced through competition and not stifled through consolidation. Now, this is perfectly fine if you're writing a white paper for some kind of NGO or other nonprofit organization. In a legal document, this is just an assertion. Unless enjoined, the proposed acquisition may and most probably would have the following potential effects in each of the relevant markets, among others. Competition between Microsoft and Activision Blizzard would be eliminated. Uh, that's true. Competition within the video game development, publishing, and distribution markets would be substantially lessened. You didn't show that at all. Competition to hire and retain talent within the specialized video game labor market would be substantially lessened. That is not an antitrust concern, nor is it a concern of your plaintiffs. The merged entity would have outsized market power and the ability and incentive to foreclose critical inputs, thereby harming rivals' abilities to co compete effectively. This is a subset of competition would be harmed. This is not a separate argument. Video game quality, innovation, and diversity may decrease. Output may decrease. Prices may increase. All of these are hypothetical. You didn't do even the, the slightest bit of homework to try to establish that. Further effects of lessened competition may arise in numerous ways. <laughs> Umbrella terms are good for some things. Congress likes them in statutes. Uh, some contracts like them in certain aspects. When you are in the complaint portion of your document and you're saying, unless enjoined your honor, unless you take action, unless you use the power of the court to stop this nefarious transaction, this list of bad things is going to happen. And then your last is other stuff we can't even think of. You're going to lose them. You don't need it, by the way. You haven't made the case for this stuff, but maybe you find a sympathetic ear. This, numerous ways, other stuff, very bad things. What's the worst thing you can think of, Your Honor? It's that. <laughs> the plaintiffs are threatened. Okay, so we got to the plaintiffs. Oh my God. We're actually referencing the people that this court case is about. Okay, by reason of all this stuff, we just said all these things that the FTC said much more poorly. The plaintiffs are threatened with loss or damage in the form of the ill effects of diminished competition that occurs with the consolidation of power. Wait, hold on. Do you mean market power? Or are you just taking excerpts from the Lord of the Rings? I don't. Market power, right? Just general economic consolidation. This isn't like a didactic on the conflagration that started a world war, is it? 
including but not limited to. Okay, very bad things up here. And so we are going to be threatened with reduced quality, innovation and diversity, reduced wages, decreased mobility, and worse working conditions for video game industry employees. How do you have standing for that? The potential further elimination of favored competitors, as well as additional irreparable harm for which damages may be inadequate. No, no, you can't. You, you have to plead with specificity. Specificity. You have to establish what it is you are talking about. This is the only time that I have seen in 40 pages where you've actually talked about your case. The rest is competition nonsense that you kind of dragged from the FTC or the CMA or wherever else you found it. This is where you say, and that's why my plaintiffs are affected. You also don't establish how they are distinct. How are your plaintiffs different from any given person? What is it that it's about them? And then by throwing in this wage stuff, this makes sense if you have clients potential. If you're, all your clients are developers and you want to bring this case, that's a different case. You, you are not impacted by reduced wages of labor. Honest to God, from a consumer perspective, this is going to be a nice thing to say. And I have a lot of developer friends and, and my brother's a developer. From a consumer perspective, if all of the developers' wages were cut in half, and somehow that savings was passed on to the consumer. That's much more likely to be a consumer good facing thing. If cost of creation of the product you want to buy goes down, there is every indicia that that's going to lead to more sales and potentially lower prices and more quality quantity of goods delivered to you. That isn't to say that we have to be in favor of developers getting kicked in the shins over their wages. But when you're bringing an antitrust complaint about consumers Gamers saying the company's input costs could go down rather a lot is complete nonsense. This comes across as like a Polygon article about the state of the industry. We're not all in this together, folks, at least not on the legal side of things. And yeah, I want developers to do well. And I'm entirely in favor of them deciding their own fate and whether a union makes sense for them. And what we see in the video game industry will continue to be covered here as something that could be great for workers or bad for workers or anywhere in between. And we'll talk about those things. But on a consumer-facing level, this is a consumer lawsuit. Companies might wind up paying less for labor. Is, is nonsense in this context economically. Doesn't mean you have to like it. All right. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the nature of a litigation document. Uh, but not only do they not have standing, it's the exact opposite of what might make sense here. And it goes to what we were talking about before, right? That it has to be of the nature the antitrust laws were designed to protect against. Competitors that would be harmed by a more efficient merged firm cannot maintain a claim. I really want it on my PlayStation is what I want to say, but I saw how much that European Commission guy got burned by it. So we're not going to put that in the litigation document, thank God. Instead, we're going to make all these various claims that are in and around the industry swirling, and you don't make sense from a legal perspective. You don't. So... There's, there's 100,000 reasons this lawsuit isn't going to work. First and foremost, it's like, ah, the FTC's already doing this. Why are you wasting our time? But after that, this is just a nonsense platter at this point. Plaintiffs are entitled to bring suit under Section 16. Yes, you are. We prayer for relief. We want to see it enjoined. We want it declared unlawful. Uh, we want to declare the contract killed. We want to declare the reverse termination fee null and void. What standing do you have for that? You're not Microsoft. You're not Activision. 
in this particular circumstance, you would have Activision be put in limbo for a year, year and a half, potentially more, depending on if this went through, how long this would take. And you want to make sure that Microsoft keeps all of its money from what you have declared to be an unlawful attempted acquisition. You also further want to make sure Activision does not get paid for that limbo period and that its investors are burned to the maximal extent possible. And which of these universes do you think is better for competition in the video game industry? Let's presume you get just an absolutely lobotomized judge that says, this sounds good to me. All right, we'll void everything. And Microsoft keeps its money. Activision gets nothing. Is that better? Is that better for this circumstance? Awarding to plaintiffs the costs of their suit, including reasonable attorney's fees, granting plaintiffs such other further relief as the court may give. So note what, they're not even asking for damages. They want attorney's fees and the deal to stop. Who wins in that scenario? Who do you think? Who always wins? The lawyers. This is a lawyer-directed kind of move uh, from Mr. Joseph Elioto and Mr. Joseph R. Savieri, uh, and they're trying to move forward with this deal uh, with this potential litigation to get in the papers and potentially to make a little bit of money. Um, it's a non-starter. Don't expect this to go anywhere. Uh, but you did see it reported on in a bunch of places. So I wanted to cover it. Now, I will go and see if we grabbed any uh, super chats. I'm also going to check behind the scenes here to see if any of you DM'd me this CMA document. We'll just double up. We will just double up uh, to see if there's anything else. Somebody should have linked this to me. Here's Cabriel. Here's the assets. <clears throat> Why wouldn't we cover an extra document here in virtual reality, right? We're only at an hour and 45. While we're taking this pause here, I do want to mention, folks, if you like video gaming, presuming some of the thousand of you watching right now, uh, that we are actually having our special, what we call Fabto, which is two hogs are better than one, where I'm going to be talking about my favorite games of the year, along with my brother, Tom Hogue, who is a developer at ZeniMax uh, Online. ZeniMax Media Online? Starts with ZeniMax, finishes with online. Uh, and he's going to talk about his favorite games as well. We might also have some cameo appearances. That's 7 p.m. tonight. Uh, and is one of my favorite streams every year. So I have some unusual things up there. I have some things you probably expect up there. My brother has a crazy list. Uh, we have only one game in common on our two top 10 lists. Uh, so we'll be talking about a lot of games. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, put a marker down, set a timer, set an alert, ring a bells, whatever else YouTube does now. I don't know. Uh, but we'll be doing that later tonight. So with that said, that's going to be an awesome stream. Uh, let's finish this up. Let's make sure that we get all of the super chats from the section where we were discussing the plaintiff's lawsuit. And then we'll talk about the CMA's public announcement here. Uh, so, okay, we got a clippy reference. See, if I were better at this, folks, I would be starring them on the fly. But it's just, it's just too tricky. Too tricky for me. So we have to have these little short breaks. Kipter says, I want this deal to go through only to see Clippy in COD. I want Clippy to be like a skin. Can you imagine? There's Clippy with a beret and like a large gun descends into war zone. And then the embarrassment, the sheer unmitigated gall of being killed by a cartoon Clippy. I know, I know. It's too Fortnite. And yet, you don't have to go so far with it. Just one singular cartoon Clippy. That maybe maybe says like just ridiculous beeped out one-liners about getting your spacing correct in Word as as he as he takes you down. Come on, tell me that isn't a winner. Tell me that's not selling skins in the in the in the Call of Duty environment. 
cartoon Clippy with zingers giving you advice on font size or how to get your page breaks correct. It's a guarantee. Guaranteed winner. You heard it here first, Microsoft. That's free. Not even going to have an assignment of intellectual property there. It's free. Uncle Thursday Gaming Activision never released on Mac. Blizzard always had and still does. So this argument makes no sense. Honestly, Uncle Thursday Gaming, that was a morass at the end, right? They knew what they saw from the FTC. They knew what they had seen from the CMA. They kind of threw it all into this weird melange and said, there you go, your honor. Honestly, it strikes me that it's possible that they know that this can't go anywhere, realistically, that they're going to get kicked out for standing really at the top. Nobody's going to go through the details here. So they put stuff together, almost like filler, almost like if you're reading one of those like AI constructed conversations, it has the words you think in a different order. Uh, and that might be what happened there. Uh, I just wouldn't think that any of that is going to impact anything that we actually care about. So don't worry about Reuters. Don't worry about the other places that are reporting on it. Uh, it is very unlikely to do much of anything except get some lawyers paid in all likelihood. Uh, and it was a surprise that they didn't go for a class action. I don't think. Spicy Hogue is funny Hogue loving it, says Uncle Thursday Gaming. I'm trying not to be too spicy. Still trying to re reserve my voice a little bit for that 7 p.m. stream. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sp spoilers for Hogue's number one game. I have not been I have not been terribly uh, confidential about my number one game. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll see on that. All right. We're caught up on Super Chats. 915 of you are here. Uh, so we're actually going to do another topic. We're going to talk about the CMA's public document that came out at the same time. I might change the title to this just to indicate to people that we are going to do that. Uh, but while you're here, if you could like, YouTube loves it when you do that. It also tells people that we're streaming here and YouTube sends us on to more people. All of that is super helpful. Uh, if you want to subscribe, if you like this content, that's great. YouTube membership is awesome. You get the cool emojis. We're going to add some of those uh, pretty soon, I think. Uh, and anything else that you want to do, we've got a Patreon, a Utreon. This is my little pitch uh, in the middle of this. I, I really love talking about this stuff, and I can't do it without support from folks like you uh, in the chat or if you're in the replay crew, folks that are finding this after the fact. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, now let's talk about the CMA, everybody's favorite United Kingdom-based regulatory authority. So thank you so much for folks that actually DM me this. I didn't catch who, who DM'd it to me behind the scenes. Uh, but if you DM me, the one rule I always have is I'm not going to use your name unless you tell me to. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Let's look at what they've got. Three pages. I'm very appreciative at CMA. Thank you so much uh, for being uh, summarizing uh, in your documents. Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard, Phase 2, Merger, Inquiry. Summary of responses from members of the public to the issue statement. So if you recall correctly, uh, the CMA said... Uh, we're thinking about going to phase two. We're thinking about potentially doing something about this deal. We think there could be these potential problems. We're going to look into them further. Public, say what you will about this. Uh, and in gaming spheres, people started talking about whether or not they should uh, move forward with commentary and things like that. I did not submit anything. I'm not a UK citizen. I don't view it as my purview uh, to make statements on, the, on what the CMA is doing on this. Uh, but let's see what they had to say. On October 14th, the CMA published an issues statement vis-a-vis uh, -vis the deal. We invited responses with a deadline of October 28th. We received 2,100 emails. Some interest in this. During this period, this document provides a high-level summary of the views that we received from the public. It is not exhaustive. No, I wouldn't assume that it would be for 2,100. And we have not included any material received that was unrelated to our merger investigation. 
To those of you that called us various names we did not recognize from a franchise called Gears of War and threatened our livelihoods and or other aspects of our personage, we did not include the summary of those things, uh, but please be nicer. The publication of this summary does not in any way represent an endorsement by the CMA of these views. To be clear, this is a bunch of people on the internet, and we're just publishing this because we publish everything, because we're the CMA. The CMA received approximately 2,600 emails, but some of these were excluded from our review because they contained abusive content with no other substantive content. I like the context here because it does suggest that the CMA did summarize the abusive emails if they also had a substantive complaint or were blank, unintelligible, stated to be from non-UK consumers or not in English. So they couldn't tell if you were from the UK, but if you specifically said, I'm from the US, then they kicked you out. And I think that's warranted. The CMA is concerned about the United Kingdom as a jurisdiction. Uh, and they kicked out abusive stuff if it didn't otherwise have substance. So they had 2,100 emails that are either from the UK or they can't tell. And predominantly, if you're sending from you know, a Gmail account with a name, they're not going to be able to tell. Of the 2,100 emails that were reviewed, about three quarters were broadly in favor of the merger and around one quarter were broadly against the merger. No clear view was expressed for or against the merger by a small number of respondents. <clears throat> so around three quarters and around a quarter with a slice of pie that just was trying to talk pretty neutrally about things. The following views were expressed in favor of the merger. Sony and Nintendo are stronger than Microsoft in console gaming, and the merger will help Microsoft to compete more closely against them. Sounds right. The merger will not harm rival consoles because Microsoft has made public and private commitments to keep Activision content, including Call of Duty, non-exclusive. The availability of Minecraft on rival consoles shows that my Microsoft's commercial strategy is not to make games exclusive. This is probably overly summarized from what most people commenting on the Minecraft question would say, which even though I think Minecraft and Call of Duty are not perfectly analogous because Call of Duty is a continuing series and Minecraft really isn't, um, it is the nature of the game that is the best kind of argument for this, which is that Minecraft first, before we bought uh, the Minecraft property, was on multiple platforms. Second, is massively improved as a product by having a massive audience to enjoy it, uh, which is the same across Minecraft and Call of Duty, and that we're not in the business of cutting off that kind of multiplayer uh, environment that already exists on other platforms. Call of Duty is not perfect uh, for that, uh, but you don't have to just say Minecraft is out there so Microsoft doesn't make things exclusive. That's a sure loser because Microsoft clearly does make things exclusive, but they evaluate the games independently, or as they said, on the European side, case by case. It is unlikely, this is another positive argument made by emailers, it is unlikely that Microsoft would make Call of Duty exclusive due to that multiplayer nature. So that, that goes along with the Minecraft question that we were just talking about. Making Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox would only create a gap in the market that could be filled by a rival cross-platform shooter game, which again, I have said, Electronic Arts should be freaking champing at the bit to say, oh yeah, no, can make Call of Duty exclusive. We'll get in there. Give the PlayStation market, give the user base of PlayStation a, ne a need to shoot people in a modern war environment and we'll fill it. I think that's undoubtedly the case. And it's undoubtedly the case that Sony would find an uh, incentive to try to fill it as well. <clears throat> Call of Duty has competition from a number of other games, including Battlefield, Grand Theft Auto, and uh, FIFA. Now, look, I, I bought this year's FIFA because I wanted to play as Ted Lasso, which, hey, 
works. Good job, Electro Electronic Arts. Uh, I don't recall any corridor-based man shooting in FIFA. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a special mode for Mbappe. I have no idea. Uh, but it's an interesting choice here. And you do wonder about the summaries. It's like, really? Did a number of people actually suggest FIFA for this list? I don't think so. Problem with high-level summaries. The merger will push Sony to innovate, such as by improving its subscription service or creating more games to compete with Call of Duty. I think that's a fair reaction as well. The merger is a reaction to Sony's business model for PlayStation, which has historically involved securing exclusive content or early access to popular cross-platform gaming franchises, such as Final Fantasy and Silent Hill. So yeah, the Final Fantasy 16 one is the obvious one. Of course, the, the most obvious one is submit to them in email is that you literally have images right now of Modern Warfare 2 having exclusive content on PlayStation. So it cannot be the case that having exclusives and otherwise partially foreclosing products uh, from your rival in the console sphere uh, is uh, historically treated certainly as anti-competitive. Microsoft's plans to add Call of Duty to Game Pass are pro-competitive and will lower the price of accessing games for consumers, i.e. Game Pass in and of itself is an innovation in business models for video games designed to get them a little bit out of the rat race directly against Sony. They were losing that one, which I believe Phil Spencer and Microsoft has said that that was their brand differentiator and that adding to that to make it more valuable is in fact pro-competition across the overall sphere of video gaming sure is switch existing and moving to a portable friendly infrastructure or sony making a playstation vr and trying to sell it to brand differentiate and have things that make its system different from the other competitors in the video game market i think that's a good argument as well microsoft would not make activision's content exclusive to xbox post merger because it would lose significant potential re revenue from rival platforms i can't commit to this because i'm not seeing their behind the scenes math uh, there is certainly the case that Microsoft could look at the situation and decide that it was worth it, that they could make enough money increasing the people that are subscribed to Game Pass or that purchase Xbox consoles or even smart TVs that have Game Pass in them in the near future, whatever that might look like, to justify losing the Sony money. But the Call of Duty Sony money is so high, I find that difficult to believe. So I would not commit to would not make. I'm not going to tell you what Microsoft will do because people are nuts all over. But... I do think that it's more likely than not that they will keep it as multiplayer, not the least of which is that politically they have committed to that in public now. And Microsoft doesn't want to stop buying companies. Even if we're not talking about video games, Microsoft has historically as a growth pattern bought companies, outsourced R&D and purchased small companies to be a part of their Microsoft platform. Microsoft as a company does not want to be blacklisted from being allowed to purchase things. Uh, and so... I don't think that we should just entirely discount what they have publicly committed to vis-a-vis uh, -vis those public statements. Consumers could revert to buying games on a buy-to-play basis if Microsoft were to raise the price of Game Pass post-merger. Absolutely. And you don't have to limit it to this, that the more important aspect of this particular argument is that buying games, which again is purchasing licenses, uh, to games is a substitute for subscribing to games. And to the extent that it is, you cannot separate those markets. And when you can't separate those markets, well, you're forced to argue that there's a monopoly or substantial lessening of competition proposition in the same unfortunate way as those poor plaintiffs in that California lawsuit we just finished summarizing. If you find yourself trying to defend that Microsoft Times Activision is going to monopolize the entire video game publishing, distribution, or development industry, well, you're, you got a loser on your hands. The merger will lead to more funding and higher quality games in the industry. I would love to see the argument there. 
Uh, the broad ephemeral argument is it'll lead to more competition. It'll have more people invested in trying to get there. We should be encouraging Microsoft to spend its money on video games. If we care about video games, we want more people to be investing in those processes. We don't want Sony sitting on its laurels uh, as a for instance, but it's not obvious just from this sentence. The merger will allow Microsoft to provide Activision with better guidance and leadership and encourage it to invest more in games other than Call of Duty. At that point, I think you're hypothesizing just as badly as the FTC or the CMA or the European Union, potentially. Uh, so I don't know that you can actually say that. This one is the one that says I, we'd prefer Activision to be under new management. That's not really the ambit of the antitrust law. So just as I'm going to tell you that the labor argument is bad on the on the plaintiff side, I, I know people can think this on a kind of non-legal uh, public policy facing argument. And I think that's fine. It really isn't what I would want the CMA to be focused on. We don't want the regulators to be in the business of deciding which management is good or not. It's really not their purview. The merger is pro-competitive in the mobile segment because it will create new options for mobile gamers and allow Microsoft to compete against Google and Apple, which are two dominant mobile platforms. This is absolutely correct. It doesn't really matter to the CMA. They haven't brought up a mobile complaint. But it is a mitigating circumstance, right? Insofar as you're supposed to evaluate these and say, all right, it's it's anti-competitive, but what are the pro-competitive justifications? We talked about this on the FTC side because they go through their mitigation section and say there's no pro-competitive justification for the deal. And that's patently absurd. Microsoft doesn't have a presence right now in mobile. Microsoft has said they publicly committed to uh, fighting Google and Apple, which are pretty much persona non grata at the congressional and political levels in the United States and other jurisdictions, through the use of this acquisition. And by getting this acquisition put together, uh, they were going to try to fight these platforms. You don't have to believe them. You can advocate for Microsoft here. I can't make promises on that. It's a, it's a, it's an argument that makes sense. They have publicly committed to it. It should not be just uh, discounted by these regulators but I don't know what's going to happen on that score. The merger will not create competition concerns in cloud gaming services because there are other potential competitors such as Netflix. Eh. Again, to me, the right argument here is that cloud gaming is A, not a substitute, and B, is not even a nascent industry or competitor. It's a nascent market. It doesn't even necessarily exist yet, and we've already seen failures across the board. Uh, so it's really not something regulators should be getting their nose in. Some industry participants have said they are not opposed to the merger. Now, is this... <clears throat> is this the industry participants themselves? Probably not. They've, they've itemized market participant statements that I'll probably go over at some point in the future. This is seemingly members of the public telling the CMA that some industry participants aren't against the merger. That doesn't really swing one way or the other, right? I, I can't tell you Sony shouldn't have this way to decide what competition is and isn't. Neither should people that are okay with the merger. That That's not, that's not a non-starter to me. The following views were expressed against murder. Let's see how they how much they added these up. So this goes to K. They went to N on the ones that were for. And they said it was 75% or around there were on the for side. What did that what did the quarter that are against it say? The following views were expressed against the merger. Microsoft is already dominant in PC operating systems, and this merger is an attempt to gain a similar position in gaming. Okay, there's nothing wrong with dominance, folks. Again, there's nothing wrong with going and taking a higher market share. Uh, if you are competing with the people that have the market share, if you go and create a better product or you sell it at a lower price, et cetera, et cetera, generally speaking, that's okay. Yes, you can get into the behind the scenes and the financial side. You can say, well, if Microsoft uh, had financials that they gave to you and it showed that they were subsidizing it massively and they were basically using their other tendrils uh, to make a non-workable economic condition work so that they could ax out other competition and presumably raise prices. After the fact, you can have that conversation. There is no indication that anything like that is happening. 
and so Microsoft has a dominant position in PC, uh, PC operating systems primarily because they have serviced the market. We're not against that. Um, most antitrust regulators aren't against that. We want the actual com uh, competition to result in somebody winning potentially uh, and providing a better service at potentially a lower price. Microsoft has the resources to create an offering that competes with PlayStation exclusives without acquiring Activision. So this is the winners and losers stuff. This is the FTC's incipient competition. Facebook, you can't buy within for 400 million measly dollars in the world of big tech because you could have built a, a within competitor yourself and we'd prefer that. We don't want the regulators getting into the business of saying we'd prefer you to do X with your money because that starts to become kind of government control over the aspects of the market. And at least in the United States, we have, uh, we have an issue with that. And we don't think that results in the most efficient outcomes. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons the FTC is likely to lose that case with respect to the within uh, acquisition. But we shouldn't want the CMA to be doing this either. Well, Microsoft could have done something else with their money is not a good enough argument. Do they create a competition concern? Do they create something that is problematic to function as a video game industry? Not could they have decided to do something better? They might not be interested in trying to build something up from scratch here. And Activision was sitting out there at a relatively discount price because of the troubles, uh, which we started talking about Activision with. If you want to combine those playlists, we have Activision times California or versus California as a much longer playlist before Microsoft gets involved. But this is the, this is the one that as a corporate attorney, this argument is the one that really bothers me. It's like, no, you can't start saying you could have done something else and it might've been better. Your job as a regulator is to decide whether what they decided to do is a problem. The merger would lead to consolidation and would set a harmful precedent in the gaming industry of acquiring large publishers rather than encouraging organic growth. So this is a policy consideration. This is not a legal regulatory one. Uh, this is, we, you don't want to set that precedent. Again, it's not your job. You're not Congress or I guess parliament since we're talking about the UK. This is one of those aspects of the FTC complaint that also kind of bakes my noodle a little bit, which is to say they add into that complaint document. Well, if we allowed this one, it could cascade. It's like, that's not my problem as Microsoft. Your job is to determine whether this causes a problem and then to block the next one if you're looking at a cascade. It's not, well, this is fine, but it could cause problems later on. That is not your purview. That's not your ambit. You're going to lose in federal court if you were to say that as your argument directly. This would be the largest merger in gaming history, paving the way for a potential string of future acquisitions. So this is the same argument, such as Take-Two, EA, Ubisoft, thereby increasing concentration in the market. Again, you can't predict the future, Mr. Emailer, any better than the CMA or me, or the FTC can, and it's not Microsoft's problem on, on this particular score. The largest merger in gaming history is not in and of itself a legal complaint. Something's always going to be the largest merger in gaming history. Take-Two buying Zynga is currently the largest merger in gaming history. Should that have been blocked because it was the largest? Obviously not. And it wasn't. Is this so big that it's a problem? Potentially. You know, if you were, if you were buying all the publishers, if you're spending hundreds of billions, maybe, uh, but that's not what's happening right now. Microsoft will make Call of Duty exclusive, just as it did with Bethesda after it acquired Zenimax Media. Again, you're just positing things. Microsoft has assured you that it won't. You can say Microsoft's a liar, but you have to say that. <clears throat> Microsoft will have the incentive to make Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox post-merger. This is true. Microsoft going out there and continuing to use language that is strongly suggestive of we don't have any incentive is just wrong. <clears throat> so Microsoft has gone too far with that. They've said it a number of times. A. Hedinger says the troubles that they get into a multi-decade war with the British. I understand the historical use of the word troubles. I like it as massively understating the situation as just a general rhetorical rule. So I use the troubles in a bunch of different places. 
Uh, I apologize if anybody takes offense to that in, in the United Kingdom, since that's what we're talking about. Uh, this will adversely affect gamers who cannot afford an additional console, and they would therefore switch to Xbox at the launch of the next console generation. <clears throat> well, again, does this actually say there's a problem with competition? This is really where the rubber hits the road so often. Is Microsoft allowed to take Sony market share? Is it uniformly anti-competitive to go and say, yes, we're going to offer a console ecosystem that looks more attractive and thus we are going to get more consumers, some of which are yours. Is that allowed? Because generically in an economics textbook, that looks like rivals in competition. That looks like people that are changing up their product or service offering in order to gain more market share. And in general, we like that. In fact, the antitrust laws are designed to protect that process. So when you have a statement like this, it's like they will take it exclusive. They do have that incentive. We don't know whether they will do that. If they did, then more people would buy an Xbox. And that'll be the case. The question is that marginal math. But is convincing more people to buy an Xbox instead of a PlayStation some kind of legal offense? I would offer that it's not. Microsoft would be able to deteriorate the quality of Call of Duty games on PlayStation post-merger, which could cause consumers to switch to Xbox. Okay, so that's a behavioral covenant. That's easily solved by a, uh, uh, I think it's called an undertaking in the UK rather than a consent decree. So if you're really worried about that, you could state that. Uh, and certainly you could correct for that contractually. Uh, Xbox has said they've offered a contract to Sony and Sony knows how to write parity provisions. They do it in their marketing documents, as we saw uh, on this very channel. So it's possible, but all of these are kinds of pontifications. Microsoft can capture the multi-game subscription market after the merger because it can afford to add games to Game Pass at a loss. Okay, <clears throat> so this is guessing. If this is in fact the case, if, if they're lying about Game Pass revenue, if they are subsidizing it with Xbox finances, this is the kind of thing that I could see causing a problem in antitrust. Even though we've gone through now multiple investigations at multiple bodies, we don't see anybody making this claim. So I don't think this is actually a legitimate concern. But I can certainly kind of agree that if it is in fact the case that Microsoft is doing what we might call predatory pricing with Game Pass uh, in order to eliminate competitors, that's the kind of thing that can get you in trouble. Uh, so that's something to watch, but we have no reason to believe that's in fact the case right now. Microsoft is already dominant in cloud gaming and the merger could affect the future of new entrants into that space. Are they? Does cloud gaming exist? What did you pay for Microsoft cloud gaming? I, they can't possibly be dominant. Cloud gaming doesn't exist as a functional, competitive economic marketplace right now. If you want to project out, as the CMA has suggested they might, and as the FTC has, uh, you can project out. But we have to be honest with each other on this. We don't We don't actually know. And, and my argument and traditional antitrust argument is you don't stick your nose in and, and wreck markets that we don't even know exist or work yet because we don't know what we don't know. The merger will raise barriers to entry for smaller studios and independent developers. And I think fundamentally, this is the argument that if Game Pass gets too big, Microsoft is going to wind up picking winners and losers in that environment because you're going to have to have access to Game Pass to succeed. I simply don't think that'll be the case, uh, but at least it's a viable kind of understandable rhetorical argument. The merger will lead to an increase in bargaining power in relation to game publishers. Maybe, but you have to show that that's anti-competitive. You have to show that that's not something that can be warranted. PlayStation right now has an increased bargaining power in relation to game publishers because they have a bigger install base. 
That is what they fought through for now a number of generations. Xbox 360 did better than the PlayStation 3. PlayStation 4 did better than the Xbox One. They're closer to tied on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. But we don't know exactly how this generation is going to shake out. And they're constantly fighting for bargaining power with publishers through user base. So this doesn't change anything to my eyes. It certainly doesn't foreclose competition on the whole, which is what we talk about on the European side, generally speaking. Okay, that's the whole document. I think, honestly, the most pertinent part is that uh, three quarters said yay, one quarter said nay. These arguments for the in favor are, are pretty good. The arguments against are... Uh, somewhat a little bit specious in places, some that could be legitimate, but we don't really have any proof of the underlying circumstances that would cause them to be concerns. Uh, and so the CMA published this. I don't think any single bit of it is going to change their minds on basically anything. Um, so that's that's kind of the status here. I'm going to do a quick wrap up here of this document. We're at two hours and 15 minutes. So I appreciate y'all hanging out with me uh, in this virtual legality live. As I said, if you want to hit like, that's great. We're going to have a stream later today at 7 p.m. to talk about uh, me and my brother, the game developers, uh, favorite games of the year. So please add that to your uh, to your watch list. We'll cover some super chats here. If you want to get in any questions about anything Microsoft related, uh, let me know, uh, either with a super chat or capital question or at Hoglaw or anything else. We'll wrap that up and then we'll send you on your way. Darian Britton, didn't Xbox allow Fallout 76, Elder Scrolls Online, Deathloop, Ghostwire, Tokyo to stay on PlayStation 5, thus not making all ZeniMax content exclusive? I don't think that the summary here is being terribly precise about what the complaints are. It is certainly the case that Microsoft abided by the contracts that uh, ZeniMax had made for Ghostwire and Deathloop. And that's why they got a year of exclusivity on the PlayStation for both of those titles. <clears throat> and uh, that the games that were already on that platform were not removed. So we can expect that Microsoft won't remove things that are already available uh, on the competing platform. Where the question comes in is new stuff. And this new stuff also applies to Call of Duty, right? We can expect Warzone will stay on PlayStation. The question becomes the next Call of Duty, the next Modern Warfare, the next, probably not the next Vanguard, uh, the next Black Ops, whatever it might be from the Activision Studios, what will happen to them? Because it's not quite the same situation as Minecraft, which is a single game, even though they're bringing over Dungeons and Legends. Did I get that right? I don't play the Minecraft games very often. And so uh, I think there is a legitimate conversation to be had there. But I don't think that the FTC, even though they said this in their complaint document or the CMA, if it were to come to it, have any leg to stand on to suggest that Microsoft has violated its contractual commitments. I have not seen them do that once. Uh, and it is certainly the case that putting Deathloop as an exclusive to the PlayStation when it was winning all those awards and getting those high ratings, which I don't think were warranted, but I'm just one person, didn't maximize the value of that brand or that title for Xbox that abiding by that contract might have been economically beneficial to just breach uh, and just terminate. Uh, and Microsoft decided not to do that because they wanted to be seen as, file, as as following the terms of the contracts that they had bought into. Trisha Lynn, thank you so much for gifting five Hogla memberships. I really appreciate that. And I hope you did get gifted a membership. You have a good time here. Uh, love to have members, love to have the emojis, seeing all that stuff and hangouts and headlines in the mornings and virtual reality separately. So I really appreciate you gifting those. Trisha Lynn, thank you so much. Uh, so, yeah, I do think Microsoft has a good defense for our word is trustworthy right now on these contracts. And if we were to sign a contract with Nintendo, were we to sign a contract with Sony, those would be useful. And I still think that the quote that Gabe Newell of Valve gave on essentially Microsoft is trustworthy on this stuff. We don't need to sign a contract 
because they have never broken their word on these things is important when we talk about these issues uh, with the with respect to whether Microsoft can be trusted. I, I think the FTC goes too far by suggesting that they can just discount everything Microsoft has ever said. It almost sounds like they just don't trust corporations at all, which is fine if you're on MSNBC or if you're on Fox News and you want to just talk as a talking head. It's less fine if you're a regulatory agency in charge of policing corporations, uh, because that suggests bias at its core to me, right? If you're just going to suggest that any major tech corporation just simply cannot be trusted, uh, it's going to be a problem uh, when I'm interpreting the steps that you've chosen to take. And I'm rapidly getting to a place there where the current Federal Trade Commission is um, itself perhaps not entirely trustworthy for being a neutral arbiter on these things. We'll see if I get there. Uh, Enu Bataan with the Super Chat says, why do companies not do what happened back in the day with ghouls and ghosts and ghosts and goblins? Change the IP? Well, you don't need to do it. You're buying the IP. You want the Call of Duty trademark. You want the Call of Duty brand name. It is of less value to you to change it to duty of call, right? So they want to have the rights to have this thing. Uh, and there's no reason they shouldn't have it if they're allowed to purchase this company. So I think it's a different question. Uh, you can get into these other circumstances where you have ownership fights and, and naming conventions and things like that. Uh, but it it seems like it's a different a different question. All right, folks. The voice mostly made it. We had a couple of pauses there early on. I think we're going to make it through this. I think I'm almost out of the woods uh, on the, the stuff I've been dealing with for the past couple of days. Of course, I've decided to stream something like five or six hours today because it's just who I am, uh, people. Uh, but I'm very appreciative of you being here. Tell folks that we're having these conversations, if you would. If you like this kind of stuff, tell them that the replay crew on this is going to have a lot of good content, a lot of funny things from the plaintiff's lawsuit, a lot of good things from the CMA summary, uh, and, and leave that like on your way out. I really appreciate everybody joining us today, and I hope you have a great one. I hope you do come and check in on the Two Hugs Are Better Than One episode for the Games of the Year 2022. Everyone else, have a fantastic day, and I will see you on the next episode of whatever I'm putting out on the Hoglaw YouTube channel. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.